0: metallica here they come the kings of metal so fucking what hey this is jay weinberg from slipknot and you're listening to metal up your podcast
1: Welcome to the Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 120, and we're going back to some gear, Clint.
2: We are, finally. It's been a minute since yeah. we've talked gear. We're going to be talking about all the bass guitars.
1: Oh, I thought we were talking about all the wah
2: pedals. <laughs> well, that would take. That would probably be a 16-part series. It probably would. That's just for this tour. I also thought about trying to include... Now, we're going to be even starting with Rahm McGovney. We're going to do Rahm McGovney, Cliff Burton, Jason Newstead, Robert Trujillo, talking about all of their many wonderful, cool bass guitars. I thought about trying to maybe see... What the Hulkster's bass rig was? We can definitely look that up before yeah. the evening is over. The bass player that should not be. That's right. I'm guessing he probably played
1: Kramer's or something. Something pointy and and loud and orange. There is, there is a photo inside the uh, Hulkster's record, um, <clears throat> the Wrestle and Boot Band record, mm-hmm. and he's like kicking back on a Harley playing bass. Wow, it's pretty pretty outstanding
2: the fo- the videos that I find of him are the pictures that I use when I put up our YouTube videos for some reason he did something with spaghetti, <laughs> so it's like him holding like handfuls of spaghetti and shit.
1: <laughs> hey, man, maybe that helped him play faster on the old maybe fretboard. he could yeah, maybe he could even string up the old four string with spaghetti noodles, maybe so. hey, by the way, it's good to see you in person. it's we're, nice we're, to see you. we're here at h q one. I'm back from tour for a little short little short little break. Uh, we'll probably be able to do the next episode while I'm still home, um, but yeah, pretty uh, pretty exciting.
2: It's nice, yeah. After a few remote episodes, it's good to be here in the flesh. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, maybe we're an all-Metallica podcast. Ethan and I devote every Monday when we can, even if we're on different parts, uh, in different parts of the country or even different parts of the world, the to talking about our favorite metal band, which is Metallica. It
1: is. If you haven't figured that out yet, well, you might be listening to the wrong podcast. We cover everything from band members to tours
2: to the, what they wear, their music videos, their various records. We kind of cover everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, to go back to our first episode, our motto used to be, for one episode only, we know more than you, we know less than you. Yeah, We're not experts, although after being two almost two and a half years on the ride... I would take the old Pepsi challenge.
1: I would I would probably take the Pepsi challenge at this point. Um, I'm sure there's still plenty of people other than no more than us. But, you know, we, we have occurred uh, a lot of knowledge about, our, you know, the Mighty Metallic over the last two, almost two and a half years. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, we definitely, when we first started this thing, we felt like we, we were confident in our knowledge. But... We've had to learn new things for all these episodes.
2: And it was never really about being experts. It was really more just about having a conversation. I will say, if you do want to learn about what you don't know about a band, start a podcast. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Because people will let you know real quick. Oh, yeah. When you're wrong, I mean, you basically, it's like getting your test handed back to you and just covered in red markers. (laughs) You know, We're
2: constantly being graded by our many teachers.
1: I feel like we're probably at a solid B plus or A minus maybe at this point. Wow. That would give us an A-. minus. Well, thank you. Hey, no problem. I appreciate that. Yeah, professor Luck here. <laughs> Before we dive into all the bases and
2: excruciating, we like to do things in excruciating detail. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to do that again today, and uh, we've got a, a whole bunch of notes here. Before we do that, let's knock out some housekeeping. We've got the iTunes. Go leave us a positive review. It really goes a long way. The way that iTunes works is getting on top 100 list or top 200 list, or when someone looks up Metallica or Jason Newstead or Cliff Burton or James Hetfield, the more positive reviews you have that feeds into the algorithms and we pop up. So if you like the show, you think the show has value, leave it to the review, get other people involved. And also... You know, the, um the primitive, the age-old way of spreading the word is just to simply
1: tell your homies. Just tell your friends about it. It's really that simple.
2: And I know a lot of you out there have your own podcast, too. Giving us a shout-out always helps. If you want to come on the show or have some cross-promotion, we'll go on your show. If you do have a podcast or mention us on your social media, make sure you tag us. Make sure you let us know. That way we can hear whatever it is you had to say about us. Right, yeah. And we can also promote whatever cool thing you're doing. Um, Edgar, who's over at California to self-destruct, he did want me to give a shout out to the California to self-destruct people, because I believe they're having one of their, like a 10 year anniversary or oh, something. Oh, cool. Wow. So if you're in the Southern California area and you want to get involved in a Metallica community, look up California to self-destruct. There are fan chapters pretty much everywhere in the oh, world. Oh yeah, all over the place. So chances are, if you feel alone, you're the lone Metallica nerd in Fargo, North Dakota, for example, what's the Fargo one called? Fargo the bell tolls. Is it really? Yeah. That's awesome. Remember, uh, remember, little dime bag. Oh, is he, he part of that one? He's with that one. Little dime bag. Yeah. What's the uh, outlaw
1: corn? Is that the uh, Iowa one, Nebraska, or something? Yeah, it's something Midwest. Yeah. There's some in Tennessee. Yeah, we've mid- got the freight ends of Tennessee over in Chattanooga. And
2: there's also Tennessee Inc. There's New yeah. York Attitude. I mean, there's just look it up if you want to be a part of that. Yeah. I, th- I think the general deal is they get together once a week or once a month, have dinner, have some beers, talk about Metallica, and then when they when shows come near, they all go together. Yeah. They all have flags and shirts, and you get to be a part of something. It's cool. It's really fun, yeah. Speaking of flags and shirts and being a part of something, uh, you can go to MetalUpYourPodcast.com and get Metal Up Your Podcast shirts. We have the Dagger logo in Mm -hmm. stock at the old website. Also, we are doing a limited press campaign of our original gangster logos. That's right, yeah. So at Everpress. We do it through Everpress. You can find the link on our socials or just look up, just Google Everpress, metal up your podcast. I think it's like 20 bucks maybe, maybe a little
1: more. They ship anywhere in the world, any size you want, I believe. Yeah, and a lot lot of our uh, listeners have emailed us and said that they have ordered shirts or already got them in the past. And uh, they're planning on wear them to shows on the European tour. So it's cool. I, th- I feel very grateful and lucky
2: for those Absolutely. people that do that. Absolutely, uh, you're going to hear about Patreon later. But just real quick, if you really want to support the show and you think the show has value, you listen every week. You laugh, you cry, you sob, oh, you fight your mother, you, you go through a whole tissue don't, box. Don't, oh, oh, honey, please, Kleenex. Oh, we should be sponsored. By you Kleenex, could go through a whole tissue box for more than one reason, though. That's true. Uh, but if you really like the show, basically five bucks a month, which is basically two cups of coffee a month, keeps us afloat over here, keeps this work making sense for us. Plus, we have all sorts of goodies that we give back to you for it. If you, I think, if you sign up right now for five bucks, you get two full EPs, you get some Lunar Satan stuff, mm-hmm. you get a bonus Ethan Luck track, you get to when we have guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, which we're having him back on after the Australia New Zealand after tour, the Australia New Zealand tour, yeah uh jim florentine michael wagner michael lago we even had ray burton that's right you get to ask them questions we make sure all of your questions get read to them so there's all sorts of cool reasons to get on board at the patreon and uh, you can go to patreon.com slash metal podcast bare minimum we like to give these people a shout out we got four
1: new patrons so that's let's, right let's acknowledge we got you. mike garcia we have luke uh Hoseon, mm-hmm. who increased their pledge nice
2: and- maddie corpy and barry barrington wow Barry Barrington Bearingness. Barry hey, just just bearing It All with Who, Barry Barrington. And playing guitar in Baroness.
1: Uh Barry, if you start a podcast, can it be called Bearing It All? Oh. Ooh. Or a Screamo band. Or a Screamo band, yeah. Right? That's a Screamo band for sure. Bearing it all. Bearing
2: it all, Dad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you follow on social media, do you follow Rigs of Dad? Love it. Love it, right? Have you seen their their coffee mugs and shirts they make? And it's like all these really cheesy photos of kids playing guitars through amps and stuff. No, I love it. And it, and, and there's two of them. There's a mom and a dad one. But it, it says something like, um, like, Mom, I'll turn down when I want. Yeah. I want to get one of those coffee mugs. The best
2: thing about Rigs of Dad, which is on Instagram, is
1: the captions.
2: They're amazing. They're super long. Super um, long and detailed. And yeah. they're talking about like cover bands and bars they
1: play in. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. There's one called the Chug Suckle. <laughs> 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 oh, it's so good. I think I that think, might be here in Tennessee somewhere. I think the dude that runs it, it he's in like a band that has done a Warp Tour and things like that. I have a few friends that, that know him. But, dude, it's it's one of the most fun accounts to follow on, on social media. And as you know, I love to have fun always. So.
2: Speaking of fun accounts to follow and neat shirts to have, um, you can follow us on Instagram. That's right. Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, wherever you get your uh, content. We're on all that crap. We're on YouTube and shit. Um, Cover, Our Vo- Cover Our World Black in Volume 3 is still making progress. If you That's haven't right. heard, we are doing Volume 3 outside of the Metallica group. We're doing... Uh, classic 90s bands yeah
1: we got Alice in Chains Nirvana Soundgarden and Pearl Jam yeah it's fun yeah it's kind of like the big four of, of the 90s yeah you know what I'm saying you know what I'm saying who's the Metallica who's Metallica I gotta go Pearl Jam I would uh, yeah I think I would go Pearl Jam I, even though I, I would say Nirvana kind of made the sort of impact that Metallica did yeah but Pearl Jam has a longevity and, the, and mm-hmm. the amount of albums things like that and they're just they can, like Metallica, go pretty much sell out anywhere they go.
2: It's definitely more of a closely related peer group than the actual Big Four, in which, in my opinion, it's Metallica, and then way, 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 way down is Megadeth. Right. And then you kind of got Slayer and Anthrax hovering below that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. uh, But anyway, that's coming out. As soon as Volume 3 is done, we are going to make Volume 2 available to everybody. It's a Patreon exclusive until the next volume comes out. So be looking forward to that. And later in this episode... Because we are talking about the bases, we're going to have our friend Chris Kamisi, I think I'm saying that right, come on the show to do Metal Madness with us, where we're going to have a kind of like a Sweet 16 battle of the best bass moments of Metallica records. Ooh, all right. We got Cliff, we got Jason, we got Robert. It's going to be interesting to see what what comes down. Uh, Chris came on and did one of our metal tales from one of the Southern California shows. He lives out there. He runs a really cool bass channel on YouTube called Basic Gear Review. In which they demo pedals. It's really cool, but the way they do it is they basically had me, for example, they had me play the bass parts to one of my Lunar Satan jams. Yeah. And then they take the direct signal and reamp it through pedals to, oh, cool. to demo different pedals. That's awesome. And there's like
1: a video of you playing yeah. along too.
2: That's right. awesome. So it's just like I sent him just like a clean, dry signal. He, and then I send him a mix of the song without bass. He mixes it all together, but he runs it through a pedal and then he's able to twist the knobs and you can hear all the shit. The pedal that's can cool, do.
1: yeah. Very, very cool.
2: Uh metal up your podcast show at gmail.com is the easiest way to get a hold of us. We read all the emails, uh, personally. We respond to all of them. On the show we'd like to read five, take a little dip into the Metal Up Your Podcast family. We're gonna do that right now in what we call the email corner. I'm ready.
1: All right, our first email is from Twilight Potter Omega. Nice. I think that's, that's another band name. Good night, Dark We are Twilight Potter Omega. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, listening to the new episode. I'm loving it so far. As always, you guys are hilarious. Will you read my email on the show? We just did, honey, please. Hey, th- throwback Thursday to 20 seconds ago. <laughs> we just did it. <laughs> we like to make dreams come true.
2: And we I do. believe we just did that by reading that in email. That's right. Uh, Kate writes in and says, Hey, Clinton, Ethan, this is Kate writing to you from Billings, Montana, New Jersey. Just want to say you guys rock, and I've loved listening to the podcast over the past two years. Metallica is my favorite band, along with Nirvana and Guns N' Roses. And your show is teaching me new stuff, not only about Metallica, but about music in general. But uh, I like almost all kinds of music, so I love that you guys aren't just in a little metal bubble. It's so fun to learn all the interesting musical tidbits you guys throw out there every episode. You guys help me achieve my goals of being the biggest 13 year old music nerd the world has ever seen. Your humor's fantastic, Dave Torbin, Hulkster, and the Joyces get me every time. Keep up the great work. Peace out, home skillets all
1: right, very cool. I like hearing from our young listeners yeah it's it's very cool i am not sure if it, at that age my parents would be stoked on me listening to <laughs> this, but they weren't too stoked on metal back then, only for a brief period, not not forever. you
2: mean the podcast,
1: yeah, yeah, but like uh you know, there's some swear words because we use profanity, maybe.
2: I think and we're not gonna go on a super tangent about this, but like um someone said stupid the other day and my daughter was like, Hey, that's a bad word. And she's not <laughs> wrong. Right. But it was it's a great opportunity to start to teach her what one of my philosophies is about the power of words. Yeah. Which is intention. Yes. And I think once you understand people's intention and how they use profanity, the the power of it really lies in what you mean by it.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: I'm with you on that. So you can really you can be coming from a place that's ugly. And yeah. not cool and bad, and it can be coming from a place if it's humorous or meant to drive a point home. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. And I, yeah. and I feel like if you've listened to our show a little bit, you've got a decent vibe about where we're coming yep. from, and a lot of our shit's coming from love.
1: It absolutely is. Yeah, or humor and stuff like that. And uh, you know, you could take words that aren't quote unquote bad words or curse words or whatever, and like well, you said, with the with a certain kind of intent, they become that way. So, and and it, words are just symbols for for a feeling.
2: And for meaning, so if you stub your toe and you yell "crap" or you yell "shit," yeah, there's not a really there's not really a difference in the intention of that. Yeah, darn it, you're right. Crap, dang it. Well, oh, golly gee. And hey, speaking <laughs> of loving the Joyces, um, later on in the episode, we stumbled. I don't know how we got it. I think someone sent it to us anonymously in the mail, but we got a recording of a phone call involving the Joyces and. You guys are going to want to stick around. You're for going that. to want to
1: stick around, yeah. Things are getting a little dicey over in Joyce Land. It's weird. And what was especially weird is they sent it to us on one of those old answering machine cassette tapes. So right. we had to go locate an old answering machine to go to a just, pawn shop. just to even hear it. So, But it's 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 worth checking out. It's worth checking out. All right. Our next email is from Danny Santana. It says, Good afternoon, gentlemen. <laughs> um, question When writing music, do you ever experiment with alternate tunings? Glad tidings, please. <laughs> Will Stein. <laughs> <laughs> Good day, sir. Yes. By the way, I feel like people in America only know the word "wilst" because your iPhone autocorrects sometimes to it. Hmm. I never heard of that word until I got an iPhone. I'm like, what is whilst? You're trying to type, "How do I get this gerbil out of my ass?" And it says "wilst" <laughs> it corrects it just, to "wilst." The whole sentence, yeah. <laughs> uh, it says, uh, "I don't mean like uh, half or whole steps, but more like open sea." For example, I was learning sound Gardens burden burden in my mind, and my brain couldn't comprehend burden in my hand. Oh, I said mind, huh? Burden in my hand, and my brain couldn't comprehend how. Uh, you tune your guitar, C-G-C-G-G-E, uh, and then just write beautiful music. Uh, the genius of those guys, I guess. Anyway, Soundgarden rules. You are correct. He says, cheers from Los Angeles, California, New Jersey, Seattle.
2: Man, so we're doing these um, Soundgarden songs for cover We're Black and Volume 3, and I'm yeah. doing a deep cut off of Down on the Upside called Overfloater, and easily the most challenging cover song I have
1: ever I mean, tried to do. dude, those guys, they're no joke, you know. And I always heard a lot, too, that um, that Ben, the bass player, and Matt Cameron are the ones that kind of write a lot of the riffs and stuff, and like, yeah. that's why there's a lot of odd time stuff in there. I, I mean, I was even listening to their their, their last record they made in 2012. And what was it was called? Animal? What was it called? Uh, what was it called? The one with the white cover? Yeah, well, yeah, white cover, the weird, creepy, yeah. al- almost Game of Thrones-looking yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's just as good as any other stuff, man. It's... And if you if you're a Perl,
2: uh, Pearl Jam fan, which I know we have a lot of crossover. Which by the way, go check out single podcast theory. Our friends, the Brad's, yeah. um, host a um, a dope Pearl Jam podcast. Uh, many of us will know that since 1998, Matt Cameron has been the drummer for Pearl Jam. That's right, yeah. Even missing a Soundgarden tour because he had a conflict with Pearl Jam. Yeah. Um, and he, once he got into Pearl Jam, uh, I think maybe I'm trying to think if he wrote anything on. He did. He wrote on Binaural. So. He brought a lot of that strange time signature stuff to Pearl Jam. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you can hear it all there too. And the thing that's amazing about how he, his songwriting, and, and all of those dudes really, because I'm sure some of them wrote weird time signatures yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. The trick to all that is writing it in a way that's not like, ooh, look at me. I mm-hmm. went to music school. And more about the way it's arranged and composed. You wouldn't know it's weird until right. you start to dissect it. And Sting also did that a lot. Yeah. Where they write it so well and in such a pop vein, even though they probably wouldn't call it pop, but sure you don't. It it doesn't sound like math rock. No, not it, at all. It doesn't sound progressive. It just sounds like great rock music.
1: Well, then when you have Chris Cornell's vocal over all this oh stuff, my it's God. like a like. How do you come up with parts to sing over that kind of stuff? But he did it so what seemed like effortlessly and so perfectly that you know when you listen to that stuff, it's like you you you're distracted by the fact that it is an on time signature. And just
2: trying to reconstruct the song and maybe put my own little spin on it, kept going back to the source material over and over. I've been going to sleep listening down on the upside for like months now. and It's just that... I mean, this is true for Super Unknown and Bad Motorfinger too, but it really, if you listen to those records, it's just drums, two guitars, and bass and vocals. Mm -hmm. There aren't like a bunch of keys or a bunch of synths or a bunch of layered guitars. It's just Kim Thale and Chris playing... And then Ben Shepard and fucking Matt Cameron. Yeah. And that's all it is.
1: Right. I think there's some spoons on one song. Mm, I can't remember the name Black hole Black Hole Spoon? Black, hole, Black spoon son. Okay. My Spoon. Was. The Day I Tried to Spoon.
3: Spoon, if you want a
2: spoon, <laughs> then you get a spoon.
1: Oh, wait. Is, this, is it the song My Spoon? It's The Day I Tried to Spoon, man. It's, oh, there it the is. The Day I Tried to Spoon my mom. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of odd times, uh, the
2: The question about tuning, though... That tuning that he did for Burden in My Hand, which is in my top ten Soundgarden songs, that was a Ben Shepherd thing. He had he had a guitar tuned Open C and handed it to Chris and was like, dude, play around with this. Yeah. And if you ever my you know that song Follow Yeah, yeah. Go look up Chris playing that by himself and you can see kind of what's going on on the guitar. It's insane. There's such a talented guy. It's not just him playing chords,
1: it's him doing these weird hammer ons and pull offs and it's sick, dude. And if you're listening and haven't really dove into the deep end of the Soundgarden pool, you really have to. Yeah, I mean, go do it. There's no explanation needed. Just go do it.
2: And and I think they have more in Sabbath, more in common with Sabbath than maybe some of the grunge stuff. They still right, like Sabbath yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, all right. Jason Berkowitz says, love your show, guys. Huge Metallica fan. Down since day one. Just listening to your No Life to Leather episode and can one-up Ethan's t-shirt dilemma where I believe your mom turned your... Rock and roll t-shirts into some cleaning rags, right? Yes,
1: yes, you clean the house with them.
2: He says, when I went away to college, my stepmother tossed out my denim vest that I had since discovering metal in the early 80s. On the back, I had Metallica's autographs, including Cliff's.
1: What? Mom. Met
2: the guys outside their tour bus during their supporting slot on Ozzy's Ultimate Sin uh, Tour Stop in New Jersey. Four months later, Cliff was gone. Imagine how pissed I was. Still am 31 years (laughs) later. Keep up the great show, guys. Metal up your ass. Well, Jason, that definitely wins.
1: Yeah, that would be hard to... You know, if that happened, if I was in a situation anytime I saw my mom, that would just still creep in the back of my mind. But
2: you know, I, I responded to him privately in the email and I said, You know, dude, the jacket's gone, but you, the memory remains. You know, it like, does remain. There's a new commercial out that's trying to sell like a phone. And I guess the idea is that the, the phone camera is really dope. Yeah. And it's this really hip guy. And he's like, oh, I was at this thing and. I was at this club and Justin Timberlake showed up and then he looked me in the eye and we were dancing together and he was smiling and I keep asking myself, did that really happen? And then I remember, oh wait, I got it all on video. I guess it did happen. I'm like, yeah. You were videoing that while it was happening, you dumb
1: asshole. <laughs> Dude, be in the moment with JT. That is what people do now, man. Like it, it's amazing to, you know, I'm sure you see it too at Rodney Atkins shows. You get on stage, the show starts, and immediately you just see like reflections of phones. And it's just like, wow. Like I mean, I'll take a couple pictures at a show, but I personally like to really try to enjoy it.
2: Yeah, and people
1: have heard us rant about that,
2: but it's a persistent illness, I think, in
1: culture. But just the fact that people might think, wow, I want to preserve this memory like on my phone. I can print the photo out or whatever. It's like, just let it live in your mind, you know?
2: I think they live on more when you do that because what I can tell in the world, my wife, my family, my friends, myself is you may be documenting it all, but I don't think people really look at them that much. Right. You, you put them on Facebook to just sort of prove you were doing a cool thing. Sure. But when all you have is your memory, you it locks in more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. thing about this, dude, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show for, but I do not have any phone numbers memorized. Barely my wife's. I have a, cu- I have a, a couple memorized. When I was a kid, I maybe had 25 numbers memorized. Absolutely, yeah. You had no, all, no problem your family, no. all your
1: family members. All your buds.
2: All your close buds. Absolutely. It was like mom, home, mom work, dad home, dad work, yep. grandmother, six or seven of my best friends, mm-hmm. fucking pizza place, whatever.
1: Yeah, some of those I still remember. I still remember my like my first two house numbers. Yeah, I remember some of that. I still know my mom and dad's like, cell number. I don't know my, my twin sisters or even my younger sisters' cell number by heart.
2: Think about this, too. Remember when... You had to go somewhere, and you didn't know how to get there. How did you get there? You asked somebody how, and then, to, how to get there, and then they would tell you, right? Yeah. And you'd maybe write it down, but more than I don't remember writing it down
1: a lot. It, it depends on how far it was or how many how many directions there were. But
2: I remember if it was like in my city, like if I had a new friend at school, and they were like, "Dude, come over to my house. I've got a drum kit. Bring your guitar. We'll jam. Cool. Yeah. Where do you live? Oh, I live in Cross Creek. Oh, I live in Chandelar. What part of Cross Creek, dude? You know that stoplight by the Seven Eleven? Yeah. You take a right, you go up like three stop signs, you take a right, you see this big weird white tree. You know that tree? Oh, yeah. I don't oh, know that, that tree, tree yeah. You take a left there, it's like three houses down on the right. You're like, cool, got it. Yeah, I'll have my garage up and you'll hear the drums. And then you would just drive there. You would just go do it. Yeah. Now, if my phone died, what would I do? I can't call anybody. I don't know anyone's number. <laughs> I
1: would just drive in circles like a clown car. At a, at a I'd
2: have to drive somewhere to charge my phone.
1: yeah. Or even just like pulling over to ask for directions. Like I'm just going to stop in this like gas station, ask how to get to this place. So we used to, that's what we used to do on tour. I had a really scary moment when I was in New
2: York last week, where I was had a meeting with my publishing company on the lower uh, in the Lower East Village, mm-hmm. but I needed to get back up to Midtown, and I was like, I'm just going to walk a few blocks before I catch an Uber. Yeah, and I had to pee, so I was like, oh, and it started to get dicey. I went into a Starbucks. They won't let you pee in there unless you buy something. The right. line was super long, and my phone's about to die. So I'm like, "Um, I'm gonna pee in my pants, and I'm not gonna be able to call an Uber, <laughs> and I'm in a really unfriendly city." Right. That. Oh, hey, you mind if I charge this here? They're like, "Fuck off, get out of here." Yeah. I barely made it. I had to almost pee my pants in the
1: fucking. Cab. I'm, gl- I'm glad you made it.
2: <laughs> um, our last email before we our last out
1: email of here. is from Chris Overholt. He says, "Hey Clint and or Ethan." Um, got a sound question. When Metallica is in the tuning room, can anyone else hear them playing? Or do they have to uh, have monitors in? Kind of wonder that while watching uh, one of their videos. Thanks, dudes. Remember to always have fun. Chris Overholt from Chicago, Illinois. Nice. Uh, yeah, other people can, especially because Lars is playing a normal drum kit. Um, I think now they also have those fractal rigs in the tuning room. So they're all wearing their inner monitors.
2: I don't think you can hear anything but the drums.
1: Yeah, I remember when I saw them in Australia and it was pre- where know, they had amps in there. They had amps in there. And like, yeah. we walked by the tune room and like the security guard was like, hey, check it out and take a listen. The door was shut, but you could, you could still hear them. I think they were running, turn the page or something.
2: In that case, when they still had the amps, you would have been able to hear just the raw amps and drums. You wouldn't have been able to hear any vocals. Right. Yeah. Now I bet it's a really weird sounding sitch. I mean, I'm sure Wes could tell us, but you probably just hear
1: drums. Just drums. Yeah. I know there was a short period, maybe on this tour. Um, where Lars was playing, like, you know, like the kid I have here at HQ1 has these like mesh heads on it. You actually right. rehead your kit with them. That, it's like quiet. And they're really fun. They're great for practicing like at night and stuff, don't bug your neighbors and whatnot. But there was a point where Lars had those and had these Zildjian quiet symbols hmm. and there was triggers and everything. But I wonder if it just felt weird. And because he's back to playing as normal kid in the tuning room.
2: I bet it did. I bet they were like, fuck it.
1: Yeah. And you know, they're also Metallica, so they can kind of <laughs> do
2: whatever they want. They can definitely they can definitely afford to experiment with stuff to get it right. Right. And the deal is too they're using probably super dope in ear monitors that are mm-hmm. also noise canceling. So it's probably not that painful for James to stand in front of the kit.
1: Yeah. It, it, I mean, know. if you I mean if you have a set of in ear monitors, I mean they're molded to your ear mm-hmm. ear canal. So it's like they're basically earplugs with speakers in them. Right. You know. So. And I bet they have the like. I mean, you can
2: get the technology gets better and better every year, but. Like, I think mine are just quad drivers. So I have four different speakers that do bass and treble. Mm-hmm. You can get up to 10 drivers. That's crazy. In your ears. That's insane. That are so dialed in. What's next? Headphones? What's next? A fucking crap weighing toilet? Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, folks, it's that simple. Met up your podcast show at com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We'll yeah. probably even read it on the goddamn show. Probably will. Let's get out of here.
1: Hey, this is Ethan and Clint from Metal of Podcast, and we want to talk to you about something we love called Patreon.
2: That's right. Patreon is a way for fans of the show to give back to the show, to donate money that uh, helps us in quality and content. And not only that, but we've actually come up with all sorts of fun incentives to
1: give back to you for supporting the show. Exactly. For instance, if you donate $5 or more, you get access to Cover Our World Black End which is the official Metal your Podcast Metallica cover EP.
2: That's right, and that's the only way to get it. In addition to the EP, we also give you priority email access, meaning we'll read your email first on the show. We give you early access to Patreon-exclusive merchandise, Patreon-exclusive giveaways,
1: and any other side projects that Ethan and I might be involved in. There's all sorts of things you can look at on there and you can donate to. Go check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast. How do you spell that, Clint? P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. And if you really think about it, $5 a month for an entire year,
2: that's really just like a cup of coffee a month. So go check it out. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Adios.
1: Hey, a quick shout-out before we get into bass world. Please. I want to shout-out our listener, Angelo Gonzalez, okay. for his amazing gifts he sent to us. He sent me not only a, a copy of Reload on Vinyl, he sent me his copy. Amazing. He said he. he I, I messaged him on through Instagram, and I was like, "Man, thanks so much for this." Like, I offered to give him money originally, and he said, "No, no, no, I just want to pay it forward." Thanks for all the great content you guys do. And this was, you know, I, I listened to this for a couple of years, and now I want you to listen to it. I was like, "Wow, you just gave me your copy." Uh, and he sent me
2: some cassettes too. He sent me "Load," "Ride the Lightning," and "Kill 'Em All." And I mean. I feel so lucky that we have listeners like that. We, we really yeah. do get things like that all the time. And, and uh, Angelo, to you personally, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I've Ange- been wearing out Reload. Angelo's a cool cat, and he's always very engaged when we do our social media stuff. Yeah. He asks great questions and is always very encouraging. Um, I got to hang out with Jason Sheedy on the road last week. I got to see Sarah Sobeck and Pete again. Awesome. And people send this stuff all the time. Which, by the way, let me just put a little caveat in there. If you have some Metallica stuff that you don't really care about, and you do want to send it to us, we just put that in the stack. Not these cassettes and vinyl. We're, right, we're yeah. keeping this. <laughs> but we put most of this stuff in the stack to give away to, to people. Yeah, absolutely. We just gave away like seven Akeem, Prince Akeem
1: dolls. Oh, man, I love those. Thanks got, again, by I the got way. I over here next to, and also a Funko Pop uh, great one. Uh, Akeem is hanging out with Lemmy over there. I don't think you can see him. It's behind And we've speaker. got a Doris one here too, right? Doris, you... Doris is back there by, by my, uh, my, my B-Rig vinyl world. I love your B-Rig now. Yeah, well, you inspired me. Clint started a little B rig in his studio. He's got the living room one. Mm-hmm. And uh had a friend that uh, was getting rid of a turntable, so I got it. And I bought these little speakers and they're great for a, a small room like this, you know.
2: It's super fun. Like you've got all your I know you have all your pieces upstairs and you've got like your master collection. Sure. It's super fun once every 2 weeks to go pick through it and grab about 20 or 30 yep. records that you're just kind of excited about. Put them in the B rig mm-hmm. room. And that way you kind of have some fresh shit to get through.
1: Yeah, it's been really fun. And, and, you know, me and uh, Josh from Need to Breathe have been buying a bunch of vinyl on tour. We go to record stores just about every day. Mm -hmm. I know you do that a lot, too. And uh, I haven't been going crazy, like, financially, but I've been really trying to find stuff that's, like, a fair price. And, and, uh, yeah, I've probably gotten maybe about 20 records on this tour so far. And it's really fun to just... Come home from the road. I pull my record case over there and just start listening to them.
2: Well, another thing that starts to happen, and I'm sure you feel this way too, is I'll pull a piece out, or my daughter will pull a piece out, or a lot of times I'll be—I'll just tell my wife, "Hey, what do you want to listen to?" Right. She usually picks Kings of Leon records, <laughs> uh, which is okay, especially their last couple. We listen to Walls a lot, and I, I really love it. Walls is cool. Mechanical Bowl, I think is Mechanical one Bowl of best. also. Yeah, uh, and come around something, but anyway,
1: and youth and young manhood, and
2: <laughs> because of the times and. All the other ones. But that's about it. Um, aha shake break, of course. Of course. But anyway, any piece, really, relatively, she can pull it out and I can be like, oh, I got that in San Francisco. Oh, cool. Uh, on the Griffin House tour, my second time I ever went to San Francisco. Yeah. It's attached to a place. Yeah. It's, I know we just go on and on about this, but it's such an
1: important part of our it lives. It really is. And that's the beauty of tangible music, is like, especially if you're able to travel or even just you know go cruise around the record stores in your town. Memories are attached to these things, and this is also why I don't ever, whenever there's like a, um, a, a price tag on the record, still like, I don't take those off because it's some sort of relic. Of well, it'll usually say what the record store name is. Like, ah, you know, remember true. when Great Escape was in Midtown here in Nashville? Yes, I, my I think my Master of Puppets it says Great Escape. Oh, fun! So it's cool. So it's a little reminder where you got it. Yeah, yeah, six bucks I think it was. It ties you to a time and place, and then you, and then that memory gets stacked
2: on why you bought the record in the first place, which yeah. is because. I can remember where I was when I first heard Master Puppets. I right. was in my friend Matt Harris's basement, and I'll never forget hearing Battery for the first time. It sounded like the end of the fucking world.
1: <laughs> right. You know? Um, last thing. Okay. And this is me just pre-apologizing. I shouldn't have to do this, but I keep burping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you hear it, I apologize. I have felt like absolute garbage all day today. I did a bunch of work in my backyard. So if you hear me, just <clears throat> do one of those things. Yeah. I'm surviving, but just want to, you know. This is the dedication That we at Metal Up Your Podcast provide our listeners. Mm -hmm.
2: We do. Even when we're burping, we'll still do the show. still do the show. I might throw up
1: in the middle of this. We never know. (laughs) You
2: might be pontificating about Cliff Burton's Aria Pro 2. That's right. And maybe projectile vomit into my mouth. Oh, just, like, just like a mama bird. And I might be like, is that
3: vegan cheese that I'm eating uh, here? Is that a veggie, veggie sausage? Is it still vegan when it's been regurgitated by a vegan? <laughs> back
2: Does it some take on the form of some meat? Because let's face it, Ethan, we are meat. Oh my gosh, wait a second. You ever heard that Guar song, You Are My Meat? You Are My
1: Meat? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, well, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, most of them, what they do is pretty brutal. You are my meat.
2: All right, so. Faces. Now, this is, this is interesting for me because... While I do play bass and while I fashion myself a young, dapper James Jamerson Paul McCartney hybrid. Okay. Um, <laughs> that was a good response to that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I, I don't know much about basses. Right. I kind of stick to the Fender P bass, Fender Jazz bass, sure. maybe a Thund- Firebird or a Thunderbird, I mean, maybe a Hofner. Yeah. I know my way around a little bit, but the world of 80s and 90s hard music basses. Is, There's a lot of lot of it out there, especially when we get to Jason. So we did the research. The research is extensive. I'm just basically disclaiming for our bass playing um, nerds out there. Mm-hmm. That, uh, bear with us a little bit. And then for those of you who don't really know much about instruments at all, we're going to do our best to make it interesting and cool. These were the instruments that our heroes, our homies chose yeah. to deliver this beautiful, powerful music to us. That's right. It's worth talking about. It's very worth talking about. Now, we're not going to let Ron Ramagovney slide by.
1: Oh, no, no, no. We're not going to not mention he was him. He was never on an actual record, but by God, he was on some stuff. No life to a letter demo. No left to li- another demo. I mean, That's come on. pretty important. Very important. Importante, as they say in Espanol.
2: Now, for, for we all know this. Ron Mugovine got out real quick. It seems like he had interpersonal problems with Mustaine, mm-hmm. with Lars Ulrich, maybe, I read about today. And uh, it seemed like his grudges were... You know, because they recorded a lot of this stuff in his garage. Yeah, yeah. So I think he started to feel like they were just sort of using him for that part of what he was bringing to the table. Sure. And not really treating him like an equal musically. Right. Which, I've never really been in that spot, but I've been in bands where people have gotten that kind of sideways. Sure. Yeah. It's tough. That's a tough spot. Yeah, absolutely is. You ever been in with a guy that was
1: kind of just the odd, the, the odd man out? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've been that way. You have? Here and there. like Need to breathe? More on <laughs> the <yeah>, It sucks. <laughs> Send help. <laughs> I don't want to go on the next run of shows. So, what did that feel like for you? What do you mean? Like It was more on the writing side. Like I felt you like felt boxed I was out. I was contri- I was trying to contribute things right. and then uh it was just kind of getting ignored. Well, and that's probably how Jason felt for a lot yeah, of his For sure. Well, and much like Jason, what I what I kind of found uh the best second best thing to do is just start putting that energy into other things within the band, like outside of, you know, drumming or playing guitar or whatever. It's like, well, I'm going to go above and beyond and be like the fan friendly guy, you know, like I'm going to be the first one out there to talk to all those guys and gals.
2: Do you feel like this is going to take some honest self-reflection on your part, which I'm sure you're capable of. Do you feel like it was warranted? Maybe at the time were you writing? Cause I I mean, you know how much I love Let It Burn. I think you're a great writer. Oh, thanks. At the time though, were you writing good shit? I mean, was it warranted?
1: Um, or, or was it kind of
2: a hazing so. Newstead type? It was definitely not a
1: hazing kind of thing, not at all. I think I think honestly, what I was writing just wasn't really fitting what was happening at mm-hmm. that current time in the band. Yeah. So it's one of those things where like, and I would try to like adapt a little bit, but I'm also like, well, you know, I didn't come into the band as an original member, so they've had their thing for so long, right. you know, kind of like the Jason thing. So. But you know, none of it ever really bummed me out that bad. I I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall and I was just like, okay, well, this is how they've done things and what I'm doing isn't, musically as far as writing, isn't really fitting into what they're doing. Yeah. So that was okay though. I was fine with that.
2: I've been the primary songwriter, one of them, in almost all the bands I've been in. But even when you're in that part of the club or whatever mm-hmm. like I was in a band with Brad Lyons right. and we were called the Green Leaves we, ba- we were writing songs based on Flannery O'Connor short stories and me and him wrote everything yeah and I sang the songs I wrote he sang the song he wrote and our band was very Ryan Adams Cardinals era Cold Roses type shit it was cool sure. but even knowing that he respected me as a songwriter if I showed him something that you know, he was like, Nah, it's not up it's not up the scruff. Yeah. That was
1: hard. It is hard, but it's it, it is a reality of, of being a writer and being a musician is that you gotta criticism doesn't always feel good. Yeah. You know, it's not always gonna be great job tonight. You know, right. sometimes it's gonna be like, Man, you kinda dropped the ball tonight. What's going on? You know.
2: I think I think one of the biggest arguments in favor of the band not really hazing Jason about the writing is that they recorded blackened. They did have blackened. So if they recorded Blacken on his first proper LP and made it the lead off track, mm-hmm. were they really fucking
1: with him or did he just never really write anything that good again until My Friend of Misery? Or did he come up with some reverse psychology and be like, here's this riff, guys. I have just, just make it the last song on the record. Nobody wants to hear my stuff at the beginning. They're like, what's this, dude? Hey, James, we're going to put it at the beginning of the record. Just that to fuck with That would be so
2: strangely diabolical. Or would it go the opposite way where Blacken was such a barn burner... That James was like, we need to not give him as many shots. Maybe. Otherwise, he's going to be fucking writing all the record.
1: Yeah. Who knows?
2: I still haven't heard that Newstead heavy metal music record. I haven't either. Crap. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Dad. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) Sorry, Jesus. (laughs) Hey, Happy Easter, by the way. Happy Easter. Um, Okay, well, here are the two uh, bases that we know about. Uh, and sadly, Ron would go on to sell all of his memorabilia, either because he was hard up for cash or just felt yeah. so I think he still has one of these. I think he got it back. He got it back, because one of these he played at the 30th anniversary yes. shows. So, the, 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 we won't mention that one just yet, because the, the least known one is a Washburn Lion series, which is basically Washburn's version of a precision bass. Right. Which, you know what, dude? I had a, in my cover band days when I was 17, 18, I had a Washburn
1: 335 knockoff. Yeah, those are great. It was bitching. And built, like, a fucking tank. I mean, I would beat the hell out of it. Here's the thing about a lot of gear companies. Sometimes they get pigeonholed into one genre of music, Washburn, I think, being one of them. Washburn, to me, has kind of been known as, like, a metal company. Yeah. You know, uh, or all kinds of metal, hard rock and stuff, and not necessarily, like, cool hollow body stuff. And Like, Nuno Betancourt from Extreme has been endorsed by them for, like, 87 years. Right, and a phenomenal guitar player. Great guitar player, but... I mean More than words I can't harmonize with this stomach Oh, it hurts to use my diaphragm
2: Come on, try it Then you, you
1: wouldn't have to say That, that you love me,
2: love me I'll do the harmony
1: Cause
3: I don't already know no.
1: Okay, cool. Well, we did it. By the way, that's what I've been checking my acoustic with every day on tour. With more than words, <laughs> yes, even,
3: Say that I love you. even though I you don't. You
1: singing it too? No, no, I'm not doing any BGVs on this tour. I'm just playing guitar. But uh yeah, every time I'm like, oh, Ethan acoustic. I'm like, dun, 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 Say that dun, 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 thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's pretty fun. Um But so I think Washburn here in this case, especially in the bass department. I mean, they were known as like a metal company. I remember mm-hmm. when I was playing Demon Hunter, we had a Washburn deal, and I and wow really yeah because they, they made baritones for us okay right on um i don't think i've ever showed you my washroom baritone it's like it's like paper white is it still here it's uh upstairs in the storage closet wow okay yeah. cool because we tuned a drop b whoa real low so wow. um we I had these know, longer scale length baritones right super thick strings um but yeah the, the my rep at the time he's not there anymore uh artist relations guy he, he he and i would email and talk from time to time and he knew that i was like predominantly like of hollow body guy. So, okay, dude, that white one right here behind me, that's a Washburn prototype that they never put into production. It looks like a white Falcon. Exactly. So it looks like a Gretsch white Falcon. They never put it into production, but they made like 20 of them and he sent me one. Holy shit. So they make really cool stuff. A lot of companies are like that. Schecter is a good example. Mm. They have so many metal artists on their roster. Schecter is definitely a metal guitar. But if you look on there, dude, they've got some bitchin' stuff. They have a 335-looking thing called the Corsair. Gotcha. They have a great one um, called the Ultra, Ultra 3, I think. And it's like real retro-looking. Robert Smith plays one from The Cure. Super mega ultra, okay. It's okay retro. Um, But yeah, so in this case... They make you know the, certain companies make cool stuff. They just the name gets kind well, of tarnished in certain. And, and I think I
2: think another stigma with them, and probably the reason that Ron played it in these early days, is they're affordable. They're right. They're um their guitars made for <laughs> real people. Yeah, and uh so. And, and it, that's what it says it's like a pre- it's their version of a precision base, yeah, totally, so what happened is if you couldn't afford an american made fender precision bass, you get the Washburn. it's built the mm-hmm. same it's got the same pickup configuration, just the one pickup right in the in the
1: bridge it's like two uh, it's like two right in the center, mine's back there, right I always consider that one pickup, but that is two right it is technically two yeah um well, yeah, but you buy different. that in one chunk you don't... yes, okay, now that wasn't like something added on to it
2: now the one that you will see if you see the the songs he played on the um At the Fillmore shows, the 2011 30th anniversary shows, is a sort of Explorer-style shape. It's called a a Washburn B-20 bass. It's in that old
1: photo where James has the leopard gloves on. I think it's in that photo. And you can see it in the old photos. Yeah.
2: And uh, that's really all we know about the basses that Ron played. Because, you know, he wasn't around long enough for, to be that significant. But this B20, this white B20 Washburn is what he played on the No Life to Leather. Yeah. And the Power Metal demo. Like, all the all the shit they did at Ron's fucking garage yeah. uh, was probably on this B20 base. Right. And for that, we thank you. For that, we applaud you. Now, moving on to some of the meat and potatoes.
1: I don't know if I've heard of this next guy.
2: Now, Cliff Burton... Th- this first guitar we're going to mention, which is the Rickenbacker 4001 Burgundy Glow. Mm-hmm. um, One of the two iconic basses you think of when you think of Cliff. Right. I had no idea how much weird shit he did to this guitar. Yeah. This is also the, um, if, if in your mind's eye, if you have this image, it's the Sgt. Pepper era bass that Paul McCartney played. Right. It's kind of pointy. It's got this long horn. Mm-hmm. It's kind of 60s looking. It's really cool. And it's actually kind of weird that Cliff played one. Yeah, it totally is. So this is the bass that he used on "Kill 'Em All," parts of "Ride the Lightning." Here's the weird stuff he did to it. In 1982, he added a Seymour Duncan Stratocaster pickup. So a pickup made for a guitar, an ele- a, a six string electric. Yeah. So I guess where the bridge is on these Ricks, under the mute, is a cavity in the wood. Okay. So he basically took it apart, and in that cavity, he put the Strat pickup. So you can't see it. Crazy. It's just under where this mute was. Yeah. Which, you know, even through the wood, or through that mute that's there, it's still, the the, the, the magnetic field, it still works. So right, yeah. So, he had a separate push-pull button that would activate it. This is crazy. And he referred to it as his secret weapon. Well, jeez. And it's like, this basically this super punchy, high-end sound that he could blend in. That's
1: probably why I had that, I mean, listen to Anesthesia. That's I mean, why like, it pokes out. It's yeah. kind of, it, it's not it's thin, very,
2: but it's, it's very trebly. Gu- it's very guitar-like. I mean. Right, right. Yeah, especially you mix that with like that Morley kind of fuzz mm-hmm. flanger guy, right? Yeah, and you can see why it pokes out. You know? so cool. And you could also hear that like if you look at that club show at uh shit, what's that club in, in Chicago? Oh, the Metro. The Metro. Yeah. When you know before they play Whiplash, he would basically just play this fucking spastic solo. Right. You can hear that pickup there for sure. That's so cool. Now another thing he added is uh he added a Gibson EBO mudbucker to the neck, which the the EBO was like. The SG shaped bass. Mm-hmm. If you guys are familiar with the Gibson SG, so the mudbucker pickup in the neck, and he added a Demarzio jazz in the like proper bridge. So with those three pickups kind of combined, you get a really unique sound
1: that was kind of the sound it's of so Kill 'Em cool. All and
2: parts of Lightning. Yeah,
1: that's so badass. And you know, a lot of times, you know, for, like for me, I've had a Fender P bass for years and years, and just has the one pickup in it. But um, there's another bass that I have. Uh, it was like a it was an exact copy of, like, a Moss right bass, and it was my first bass with two pickups. But having that neck pickup on a bass is such a cool sound. It's like, now it's all I want to hear, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I use a... I play a Mexi Jazz at home. Yeah. And so just being able to have all those options mm-hmm. is helpful for the kind of shit I do, because sometimes I'm doing country stuff or rock stuff yeah. or... The P bass is kind of just that bare bones one thing. The P bass is like,
1: you can kind of do whatever on a P bass. I mean, I mean. It's just such a classic sound. Yeah, the ones like famous P bass players are everyone from like D.D. Ramone to Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. Yeah. You know, Geddy Lee from Rush. He mostly did jazz basses, I believe, but still like it spans multiple genres. Yeah, his
2: signature Fender is a jazz. Yeah. Um, This was the bass that Cliff played in Easy Street, which would later become Agents of Misfortune, which was the band he was in with Jim Martin and Mike Borden, who, of course, would go on to perform Faith No More. Yeah which is anyone who knows their shit knows how badass Faith No More is. Such a badass, unique band. Um, Also, he played this in Trauma, and you can see videos and pictures of him in Trauma. And uh, he had retired the bass because all the shit he kept changing about it (laughs) kind of fucked it up. It says that uh, he retired after the Lightning record due to malfunctions from all the modifications. (laughs) It's currently
1: in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum in Ohio. I've seen that. I haven't seen it. It's awesome. You going to Cleveland on, on this year? Mm, probably. You, have you ever, ever been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No, it's awesome. No, I haven't. I, I, I don't know if they still do this, but when I went, first time I went, uh, I think I've been twice. Um, you can get. Do in, they
2: rotate shit in and out, or does stuff just stay uh, there, there? There's
1: there's some stuff that always stays there, and then it's like the Country Music Hall of Fame here in Nashville, and then there's always like. A current exhibit. It's usually who's getting inducted that year. Right. Dude, the, one of the years I got to go was the year that the inductees were Elvis Costello, The Police, and The Clash. Oh my God, that's perfect for. you. I was just in heaven and that thing. Yeah, it was awesome. I got to see the 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 Fender P bass that Paul Simonon played from The Clash. That that he it's it's a the one of him smashing it on the cover of London Calling.
2: Oh wow, that,
1: that was in there with a broken neck and everything.
2: I sent you the telly, the uh, yeah, Joe Strummer Ch- Jostrums, telly. Yeah, totally. So. That exhibit had a big Metallica thing at the Metropolitan Museum in uh, Manhattan, which I was able to go to with our friend Sarah, and um, they had a whole Metallica thing. Yeah, but the bummer was, it could have been better. It seemed like it it was the Orange Kit from Death Magnetic. Yeah, it was the most exciting thing to me was it was Kirk Spider Les Paul.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, you love that one. Hello, because it's
2: just resonates with me from the Load era. Yeah, for sure. Even though it's kind of he got it in the Black Album world, but. It was like the steel-plated, one of the steel-plated ESPs, but then it was just one of Rob's, like, Warwick's or something. Yeah. It would have been cool if there was, like, a Cliff guitar, a Jason guitar, right, and a yeah. Rob guitar. Absolutely. And no, and no disrespect to Rob. I mean, I loved it, but it just seemed like they, there could have been more shit. Yeah, maybe a little more thought out. Espe- so. Especially when they're competing with, like, Jimmy Page's 59 Les Paul that Joe Walsh gave him to him, that he wrote everything on. Yeah. Eddie Van Halen's Frankenstein guitar. crazy. The fucking original Stevie Ray Vaughan guitar. Tom Morello's Soul Power guitar. Wow. It just seemed like Metallica's stuff was like just oh here take this stuff. Yeah, it could have been like the his original Electra V. Yeah, or you know Kirk's Greeny or you know what I mean. It just could right. have been more special stuff. Yeah, probably. for sure. Still cool to see though. Super cool. Like I mean, I was I was even closer than me and you right now to that to Kirk's
1: guitar. That's awesome. It was in a glass case. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> all your fingerprints are all the I was case. Was gonna right make now. a horrible lewd joke. (laughs) But I won't. We have a thirteen year old's listening.
2: Now the the next one that's he briefly uses an olympic spoiler bass, which is a very sort of unremarkable looking, heavy looking bass. Um he used it briefly between eighty four and eighty five, reportedly stolen in eighty five. There are mixed accounts of when it was stolen Mm -hmm. because I think they had some gear problems a couple times. It might have been one of the guitars stolen at the channel in boston early
1: on oh, early on yeah but... uh, in january of 84 yeah yeah crazy so
2: we don't really know conflicting uh, accounts of that the next one is what we would also consider sort of classic cliff is the aria pro 2 sb1000 japanese japanese made guitar it's one of their best models had one active double coiled pickup and when he started playing that just out of a whim he ended up getting an endorsement that's awesome yeah once he got I the, think they
1: reissued that base. They and made one a couple years ago. In twenty thirteen they did. Pretty
2: awesome. So the one they ended up making was the one he ended up playing next, which was the Aria Pro SB Black and Gold. Had passive humbuckers that look like passive pickups, they look like a humbucker. Mm-hmm. This is what he did with puppets, the tour with puppets, the Aussie stuff, it has oval inlays at Gold Bridge. And uh, the band kept one after Cliff's death. It was last seen at a Metallica Museum in, in 2013. The weird thing is it has P.J. Marks pickups, which P.J. Marks was a guy who was famous for giving Brad Gillis, who was Ozzy Osbourne's replacement on that tour, his own signature pickup. Right, yeah. Now, you mentioned knowing someone that saw a bass in Lars's yeah.
1: house. Yeah. One, uh, one of the uh, uh, production managers we had when I was out with Kings, uh, I don't know when this was, but I think years ago, uh, he used to date Lars's assistant, I believe, and- She's go the, on. She's in the Bay Area, okay? Do tell. In a world east of the Bay. Um, so they're in the Bay Area, and he's out, out there to visit her, and she's doing all this work at Lars's house, and he's, she's like, just come over. And he's, he's out of town. He doesn't care. So they're just sitting there hanging out. She's doing work for Lars or whatever, and uh, he went to go use the bathroom and opened up the door. I thought it was a bathroom, and it was like this little storage room. It was like unfinished, like dirt, you know, like a, on the side of a mountain he lives on or something. Mm-hmm. And he opened the door, and he said that all that was in there was... I, I think this base, just on a stand, is right. sitting there. Just, I'm sure there was a huge beam of light coming down on And then it, they so. made love on it. They made love on the base. You ever made sweet love on an Aria Pro 2? <sighs> I can only dream. You haven't
2: lived, bro. It's super horrible. <laughs> it's at Lars's it's house. It's extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. There's
1: dirt everywhere. And- but I know this was the house where, like, they had the, what's that room called, uh, where him and James would get together, the, the dungeon. The dungeon. Yeah. Yeah, That was where, that's where it was. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow. Pretty, pretty crazy. Okay. He's the one that hooked me up hooked me up with my first like handful of Metallica picks. He gave me okay, like a, cool. a Jason Newstead like black Almera pick. Like cool stuff. And quick shout out
2: again to our friends Matt Thomas and Wes Fisk, who are our homies in the camp that have given us so much cool access and opportunity mm-hmm. to uh to our favorite band. Oh yeah. Okay, uh moving on from that. Uh, now, you know, the Spastic Children was this weird little band that they would play in it, like Ruthie's, uh, that was just all made up songs about farting and shitting. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There are pictures of him at a Spastic Children gig playing a P bass. Yeah. But largely considered borrowed, like he just borrowed it from someone, because I think their gear was like on a truck somewhere. Yeah, totally. And while they were home, they were like, let's just put some gear together. James played drums. Right. Um, the bass that you mentioned earlier, the Aria Pro 2, Cliff Burton's signature black and gold would come out in 2013. It was released at NAMM, and uh, they got permission from the Burton family and members of Metallica. Ray attended the press conference where he signed autographs, talked about the instrument. Trujillo was there also, and he was the first one to try it out playing Anesthesia.
1: Well, and uh, when we after after we had Mr. Ray Burton on the episode, he sent us each a personalized flat Lot. of Cliff, and it's yeah. from the release of that bass.
2: And the picture is, it's like him outside the a tour bus you know, like throwing the I horns. I think that's a Ross Halfin pick. Yeah, p- well, probably. As-
1: I mean, I'm, I imagine so.
2: I follow Ross Halfin on Instagram. Yeah, he seems like a total fucking asshole.
1: I wow. was following him, and it was just a lot of posts, and so I stopped. Nothing personal. His
2: one today, he took these really iconic. I mean, his photography is so sick. He's, pro- I'd say, he's
1: probably the most. Him and Danny Clinch are like the big ones. Yeah, I mean, for rock photographers, I mean, I mean, Ross Halfin would show up to Kings Leon gigs and like. <sighs> One day I was just sitting there and I look over and there's Ross Halvin taking photos and I'm, and my mind goes straight to like Metallica behind the music. Well,
2: know? so like for Easter today, he reposted, I guess he did this really intense photo shoot with John Frishani when John Frishani rejoined the Chili Peppers. Oh, right. Where it's like him carrying a cross yeah. and dressed like Jesus that I guess offended a lot of people, which I guess I understand. Part of me is like, whatever, who gives a shit? Um, but he posted that today for Easter Yeah, and he's like... Uh, you know, I'm posting my favorite Jay on Easter, and it's yeah. John Frusciante, and he wrote, "There are rumors he's going to join the Chili Peppers again. I don't know if it's true, but then there'll be a good band again and shit." Like, well, that's I'm like, kinda... I'm like, what are you like? Even if you believe that, which is fine, what are you doing with your profile slagging on a band as legendary and cool as the fucking Chili Peppers? Yeah. No joke. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, even the stuff, very... even the stuff he wrote in the book that comes in the Justice box set. Remember? Yeah, it, it was just kind of stinky. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, he I, was I, making fun of Jason. In I know. It. Sometimes there's like you know a, a, a certain kind of different humor with people. Flavor. Uh, they're, they're British. It, uh, the humor comes out a little differently. Are you talking about Tom Cui? I'm Talking about Tom Cui. <laughs> well, it was, um Well, but you hello know, and hi and welcome and welcome back to Alpha Italia. <laughs> May I don't know. Maybe there's something that he thinks like this. This will be hilarious, and it's just not. But that is that is kind of an uncalled for dig on the Chili Peppers. Like, what's the like, well? And they're so cool. And, and they're that. By the way, record was great. That's a great record. That was still for Shante though. Are you sure? Yeah, for Shante came back on California Yeah, and he and, also also he did, did Stadium Arcadium. And, by the way, by the way, it was before Stadium Arcadium. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yes. You sh- Oh no no.
2: You're right. You're right. I'm I was thinking about of to grab uh, my phone. No no. I'm thinking of the record called I'm With You. That's after that. Yeah. That's the new guy.
1: Yes. Uh, You're right about, by the way, sorry, I'm with you. What's his name, Klinghopper? Cling, cling, his name is definitely Klinghopper. No, his last name, I'm not kidding, I think it's Klinghopper. Josh Klinghopper? I'm going to look at it up real quick just for facts. I, 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 I mean, nominate I love the chili you, peppers. Josh I'd be like, Klinghopper. Um, I've been a chili peppers fan for a long time, and, and you know, growing up in Southern California, did not obviously hurt that. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Josh Klinghopper. Wow. Yeah. You said Klinghopper. Here's what's crazy, I did say Hopper. <laughs> He does. He, he totally
2: has a Freshante vibe going on, though. Well, totally. I mean, you have. You probably have to. Yeah. Um, have that type of ethos to make sense in that band. Right. Did I ever tell you about? I was doing a show with Griffin House and Guster, at the Lincoln Zoo in Chicago. Oh wow! It was weird. It was an awesome show. Really weird that it was at the Lincoln Zoo, the Lincoln Park Zoo, and um, one of the crew guys, just a local Chicago crew guy, that you know we were kind of opening for Guster and slumming it a little bit we yeah. didn't really have a dressing room or anything so just drinking beer around the stage until we <laughs> totally. fucking played and uh got to talking to a crew guy and he's like oh man he's like uh, we were talking about music and the chili peppers came up i'm also like you a lifelong chili peppers fan and uh he was like dude i just got the chili peppers gig I'm, I'm actually leaving to join their production team like whatever next week yeah and i was like holy shit dude congrats like how did you get that gig or whatever he was like man uh, you know, they needed someone for what he—I don't know what he did. Yeah, he did something for a crew, and uh, he's like, "Well, a friend of a friend kind of got my name in the hat," and then he's like, "Actually, the way I got the gig is Anthony Kiedis called me, and uh, we talked for about three or four hours on the wow. phone." I was like, "Whoa, dude, that sounds really intense." He's like, "Dude, it was intense." He was like, "I ended up telling him things about like my family life and my past that I've never really told anybody," and he was like, "It was really cool." And Anthony Kiedis' whole deal was anyone that's on his team including crew probably a crew of 40 or 50 would yeah you guess sure. at that level oh yeah for sure he wants to know them and he wants to know their story But that's good man i thought dude i he, he was blown away by anthony i was blown away by hearing that story i just yeah, thought it's pretty rad. he could have been super impersonal these people are expendable i don't care about my crew i'm a fucking rock star i've right. been a rock star for a long time mm-hmm. but instead it's the opposite where he's like i've been doing this a long time i take it really seriously and if we're going to bring someone into the Chili Peppers family Yeah I want to know
1: who they are That's great though I mean I've always heard Dave Grohl's the same way Maybe not a three hour phone call But that when they they start a tour Like he gets a a piece of paper With everyone's photo And name on it And like makes sure To go around And meet everybody
2: Dude did you You probably don't follow Dirk Bentley on Instagram I don't Dirk Bentley is a pretty famous country guy. Drunk on a plane is yeah. one of you know. That's not really my cup of tea, but he's got a great reputation. Yeah. My friend Derek Barr, who actually plays guitar, the other guitar player, in Rodney, he auditioned for him. He got paid for the audition. Oh, wow. which is unheard of. A very got like three or four hundred bucks and a long handwritten note about why he didn't get chosen, but what they, what he liked about Derek from from, Dirk from from Dirk's. Wow. On his Instagram at Christmas, it's a video of sheets of paper like eight by tens. These are eight by tens, right? Yeah. Of just sheets of paper, all handwritten, and it's like in his house, and he, just, the whole video is a minute of him following it, and it's in a trail through his whole house. There's probably 70 of them. And they're all personalized, handwritten notes from him to his
1: entire crew. That's so awesome. Thanking them for the year. You know, there's a, a lot of bands that level out there that the band doesn't give a shit who the crew is. Of course. They, that's
2: probably mostly that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, To the point where they don't even, wouldn't even remember your name. Right. You know, I mean, I've heard I've heard stories of of you know uh, having tour with kings and um, m- having met other crew guys that have worked for all sorts of bands over the years. Like I've heard people tell me, like, oh, I've I've literally been working for this band for six years and they still don't know my name. Wow! But some guys are just those big rock stars. That they just don't care. They don't feel like they don't need to know. They just they go on stage. Everything works. They play the show. They get out of there.
2: Our crew, we we have a three person crew, so mm-hmm. it's really tight knit. It's really yeah. short, and they're all on the bus with us, so we're all homies. Gotta be homies. Ew. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I do have a lot of friends on bigger gigs, and and you've been on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. There, it, there can be a strange enmity between crew and band. Yeah, a strange. A good friend of mine, Jeff Irwin, a phenomenal bass player, crossed over into crew work, and he's kind of been working for Lady A for like six, seven years now. Oh wow, okay. Sort of fully fledged in it because he he just made no money for so long. He yeah. got the Lady A gig um, doing their tracks, yeah. and just like got. Um, insurance and yeah, totally. He basically was like really grateful to
1: have it. Well, that's a common, I mean, joke you know amongst people in Nashville is that you that you you can make way more money as a tech.
2: Our crew gets paid more than us. I'm the band leader, and I know what we all get paid. They make more than all of us. It's crazy. Yeah, they also work harder than we do. Let's just face it. Oh, they do.
1: They they're they're up earlier. They go to bed later than you do. Uh, you know. It's even especially when you get into like lighting and stuff, like the people they're like the first ones in, last ones out. When I toured with Zach Brown, we opened for them for six
2: months. They split us all out on their crew buses. There were just four of us. We were right, like a power yeah. trio with a with a chick lead singer, and I was on the lighting bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, those dudes, these are all a bunch of Georgia cats. They partied real hard, yeah, and were always the first up and the last ones back to the bus. And they're the ones climbing, like climbing on rigs and
1: shit. And oh yeah. It's insane, yeah. I, I found that on a big tour, the people that party the hardest were the catering people. If you travel with catering, ah. the caterers were always partying pretty. What hard. What do you
2: think accounts for that? Because they got a lo- they knows? got a big job too. I mean, they got a you know. I remember you can watch a whole behind the scenes on Metallica's catering. Yeah. And they go out and get like locally sourced food every day. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, you're, and you're making breakfast, lunch, and dinner for, I mean, on a Metallica tour, it's probably, uh, you know, 75 to 100 people on the crew, if not more. I can't remember what Matt said it was for the stadium tour. It was over hundred,
2: but they're but they're like the menu. They're deciding the menu based on where they are and what they can go yep. get, and they go get the food. Yeah,
1: oh yeah, they go they go do all the so shopping, you are
2: scouting and shopping and prepping. Yeah,
1: it's crazy, man. It's really crazy to see, but it's also kind of rad because you can get to know a lot of the chefs. And if you have dietary needs or you are allergic to something, whatever, they'll make sure to make things specially for you. Totally, it's awesome, man.
2: One of my, I mean, I, I hate that you couldn't be there. What were you doing? Were you doing a need to? What? Why couldn't you go with me and Paul to Bridgestone? I was that was my second rehearsal with them ever. So you so you were kind of tied up. You couldn't do it. No, I, yeah, I couldn't get out of that. It was a really special moment. And Paul will say the same where um uh Wes generously gave us a tour of the whole deal. We walked around the whole stage, we right, yeah. got to meet all their techs and there was a moment where he basically dumped us in the in catering. Yeah. And basically said, "Be cool." Yeah. And "I know you will be, but be cool." And me and Paul just sat in catering and we watched Roger Heo go by, Kirk Hammett go by. Friends and family Metallica coming in and out. And we just had a conversation about our own lives. But to be in their catering, yeah. their actual catering world yeah. was like, oh, it's cr- yeah. we're not worthy. We're not worthy. We suck. <laughs> um, I guess we should talk about bases Speaking somewhere. of bases. So let's move on to Jason Newstead, our beloved Jason Newstead. Now, Jason gets intense with gear.
1: Yeah, Jason de- definitely
2: does. Now, think about this, too, on the front end of uh, maybe contextualizing why he gets insane with it. You wake up one day, and you're suddenly in the biggest band in the world, Mm -hmm. you're going to have fun with gear. I mean, you can basically do anything you want. Yeah. So, now, starting with his audition, he auditioned with a DIY warmoth bass that he made himself,
1: um, For those that know, Mormouth is a company that you can actually order. You order the necks and the bridges and the bodies. Yeah, you can construct your own guitar by ordering through that website. It's pretty rad. If you want a Jazzmaster, but don't want to pay Fender's price, or right. whatever, you can get what looks just like a Jazzmaster without a Fender logo on. Right.
2: It. And that's yeah. So you can Frankenstein shit. But can if you we need to ref- make our own snake bites? Oh my god! I want ESP or LTD or both. To acknowledge this goddamn podcast and send us some free snake bites, is that too much to ask? In fact, if we have any you out there in medical Podcast Land who are tied to ESP and LTD, which are in California, by the way, um, maybe give us the hookup. That'd be pretty good. Because you know, it would be a really fun thing to do—a really neat shirt to have.
1: What? No, what fun shirt are you talking about?
2: I have a dream in my heart of giving away an LTD snake bite to a listener. that would be cool. So, it'd be cool if they could like either donate one or give us a great deal on one. Yeah and make it a Patreon thing or something.
1: Right, that would be awesome. So
2: for a backup, he had a BC Rich Deluxe Eagle for the audition, which those are like real bitchin' pointy. Like the BC Rich Bitch is a big
1: guitar. Yeah, the Warlock. They're, they're just so stupid. Mockingbird. Fun. The Mockingbird was famously played by Slash and what, uh, was that the you, oh, yeah. you Could Be Mine video, I think? Well, doesn't he play that? He still plays it. It's
2: that red one. That's what he plays in the Snake Pit. He's got yeah.
1: He's got a well. He still. I mean, he's mostly Les Pauls, no matter what he does. Right. But I mean, there's a few songs I know with guns. But that's famous. That red one that he has. Yeah, he pulled that. I think that one was on "You Could Be Mine." And then for like Civil War, he's got a double neck Guild. It's really cool. I think it's an, it's an acoustic and electric or something. Okay. Super weird. I watched the Dirt. Finally, you did. What'd you think? It's fun.
2: Did you watch it? Yeah. So, in terms of watching a, a fictional movie about yeah. an 80s sleazy rock band, yeah, I had a blast. In terms of it being like, this is the Motley Crue story, yeah. I'm like, fuck you guys. Yeah. yeah. Like, they got that guitar player playing it, and he's like, sorry, dude, I'm having a hard time learning it. I've literally never played anything like this. Yeah, and Nikki Sixx is like, that's the point, man. They're playing like live wire. Right. They're not like it's not like it's Frank Zappa.
1: Yeah, totally. Just the uh, narrative was like yeah. ah. I thought the I thought the movie was just a fun movie It's to super sit fun. Through. Yeah. Very entertaining. Occasionally very funny. But but yeah, there were some great funny parts in that movie. Um but overall it's like, you know, I liked Motley Crue at one point for a bit. I mean, I still think like, okay, a lot of that kind of music to me from the eighties is it's just like party music. Yeah, it's just
2: you know, but they're talking about like it's like the serious thing. Like
1: we are Motley Crue. This is us. This is our story. We yeah. know what happened, right? Yeah. I'm
2: like, you guys just made a bunch of sleazy rock records.
1: You made that. You did that and had sex with thousands of women and woohoo. Did a lot of cocaine or something. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I almost wonder if I was in a position where like that was my life for a long time. Would I look back and be like, fuck yeah, I did that, or do I be like, man, I was a sleazeball.
2: Well, it's just very much Nikki Six's rewritten history. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's like Ace Freely writing a book called No Regrets. Right. It's like, come on, dude. Yeah. Um. Back to the bases. You can see how interested we are in talking about bases.
1: <laughs> I'm having a blast talking about
2: these. Um. Then we get to what it's in my mind's eye. It's what a base that I associate often with Jason, which is the Black ESP Surveyor. He used it on his first show on the 18th of 86, and it's their take on the
1: Fender Precision. Bands. Right. I mean, the Fender Precision bass is the bass. Do you do you think at this point, right after he joins the band, they were like, "Hey, we have an ESP deal, yeah. by the way." Yeah, I do. Here's the guy. Here's the contact. Yeah,
2: I because you know 80 late 86, 87, they were getting their ESP shit rolling, and right. I think they were like, "Dude, check him out. They're rad." Because you know their ESP artist relations guy was probably hanging around. Oh yeah, for Dude, sure. Dude, Jason, you're in the band. You're dope. Check out this ESP fucking surveyor. We'll hook you up. Yeah. Um, This is the bass that's on the front of the Garage Days Revisited album cover, which is probably why I think of Jason when you see it. And uh, which, of course, was the EP recorded in anticipation of the 87 Monsters of Rock Festival. However, on the Monsters of Rock Festival show, he's playing a red ESP five-string Horizon, which I think was a prototype. It was like new. Oh, cool. So that kind of feeds into the narrative of like, yeah, he was probably an ESP artist they're like, dude, check out this new thing. Yeah, you, I mean, you know, like we talked about Tyler Amps. Like mm-hmm. I just got a Tyler Amps saying the yeah. Taylor thing. Um, you got a cool Seymour Duncan thing and LR Bags. Right. And you got this Washburn guy making this thing for you. When a guitar company believes in you and believes in what they're doing, they're just throwing you stuff. Dude, yeah. use this. Use that. Yeah. And if you're kind of a
1: gear nerd like we all are, you're like, okay. Sure. I'm not going to say no. Hell no. Well, and especially if it's something that you really do like, like these Tyler Amps, I mean, I think he makes <laughs> some of the best amps out there. And- I mean, you're now playing one live. You love it. When you, as a musician, when you can, you can get behind something like that, like you're going to do your part of the deal. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll do some posting about it on social media. Like I'll help spread the word like, you know, other artists do, but it's just a, it's a true joy as a musician to be able to get work, to work with a company whose products you actually like. You're not, you're not working with them just to get free shit. Dude. Cause I know guys like that.
2: So he came out, which that's a relationship that you helped me foster sure. with, right. uh, with Jonathan. And, uh, he had things to do that day. We were playing in his we were playing in Morristown. Yeah. And he came out which is in New Jersey, literally. He came out and uh kind of just dropped off some amps for us to check out. We we're like, dude, we're gonna play him at the show. So he splits for sound check. I played his JT forty six, which is basically his version of a plexi, mm-hmm. a marshall plexi. And then he's like, He's gonna come by later and hang out on the bus and blah blah blah. He came back and we I mean, doors were about to open and we had the stage cleared. Like I think the openers were trying to do stuff. We were like, dah, dah. and uh, dude, we cranked him up. We like got our ears out. We cranked them up, and we were—I mean, I was just sitting on the stage with him playing classic rock
1: riffs Wait, during set change, during sound check. Oh, or, sound- no,
2: imbe- no, uh
1: before doors. Oh, before doors. Okay, okay.
2: So the opener was still kind of sound checking, kind of. Yeah. And we were like, "Hey, we got these amps. We're trying to play these." Yeah. And then for the show. Like, I don't know if he did this with either the Breed, but he likes to bounce around. So he was kind of stage left. We got him like an all-access pass. Yeah. He's stage right. He goes to front of house to hear the amps because our other guitar player got uh, his Princeton. Oh, awesome. Which I see you've got one or two of those over here. Yeah, it's the PT-14. And dude, like, I think I told you, but there's like a moment of the show, and he's a classic rock cat. He's yeah, a big oh, yeah. 70s cat. And um, there was a moment in the show where we do a big medley of Sandman, Crazy Train, into Cashmere. Oh, cool. And he was stage right and like, after that's a big drum solo, so I kind of walk over to stage right, and I was like, dude... I mean, we were just laughing. I, yeah. was, I was like, dude, these amps are so sick. Yeah. And it is a joy. It's just a joy to partner with people like that who believe in music and mm-hmm. believe in players, and they're helping you with gear, Yeah, and you're playing the shit out of it and loving it. It's a
1: great partnership, you know? And I'd imagine, too, with Jason getting hooked up with ESP, we all know he played those for ESPs forever. He had a ton. I yeah. Mean,
2: he He had a ton, and... Let's see. So moving on from that, uh, then he, I'd never heard of his guitar. He got a five-string wall MK two, huh. which is what he used to record Justice, according to Fleming. And you can also see it in the one video. Oh, uh, okay. It's kind of a weird guitar. The sock has got this like pointy thing. It's yeah. Five string. Yeah, yeah, totally. Three up and two down. Yeah. Um. Next, uh, various different four and five string wall bases on the Damage Justice tour. So I guess for that moment he was pretty excited about those. Then you get into these Olympic bases. Um, which Cliff played one of those. It's the one that allegedly might have gotten stolen at the channel in Boston. And he got way into these. So you can see this bass guitar on the Seattle 89 DVD, and he kind of started a relationship with them. They ended up making him 13 custom basses. Crazy. Addressing particular issues he had, different wood types, electronics. Um, The different models he experimented with were a four-string Persuader, a Spoiler, a five-string Elon, four, five, and six-string Europas, And he played these from 89 to 92. So basically, he's able to take one, go out and play a few gigs, and be like, um, it feels good, but the pickups aren't powerful enough. Right, yeah. Or... It sounds great. It's super heavy. Yeah, or, a, there, or
1: a little off balance. The right, neck's a little too heavy. Can we maybe take
2: some weight off? Can we shave some wood off? Can we con- And he was even doing contouring. So like... Crazy. You know, if a Stratocaster... Like a, a Telecaster is a big, thick chunk of wood. Yeah. Stratocaster is contoured, so it kind of, I guess, slides up your body a little bit easier. Yeah. They make some contoured Tellies too, but... Yeah, totally. They do. How about that kind of playground to just be like...
1: Do whatever you want.
2: I mean, you can have a bone nut. You can do a different nut. You can have a a six saddle bridge. You can have yeah. a. I know John Mayer's got this new PRS that looks like a Strat. Yeah. Have you seen any of this? It's kind
1: of goofy looking.
2: It's I, cool. I personally,
1: though. I'm not a huge. I, I think PRS make great guitars, but they got they, they a stigma p- too. Play amazing. I'll tell you what their stigma is. It's the damn headstock. It, it's that's plain and simple. Like I, I it's have a modern looking. I have one of those. Um, they started making a couple cool ones. One called the Starla. They had like a Bigsby on it, Gretsch-style pickups in it. Okay. And it looked rad. Body looked cool. The neck looked cool. There wasn't those weird the bird inlays. It was just like dot inlays. And then all of a sudden, you get wrist past the nut, and guess what's up there? Their usual little tiny headstock. Yeah. And it just made it, instantly, to me, it made it the cool factor of the guitar go away.
2: You know what's cool, though, about the the point where kind of... I agree with you. I'm not a PRS guy. Yeah. Our other guitar player, Derek, who, by the way, is a phenomenal guitar player, he's got a... um um, famous guitar player in Austin, Texas. He plays with Bob. Someone's what I Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, he's got the signature guitar of that guy, and uh, they they look pretty and they sound good. But I just I'm not gonna ever play one. But the cool thing yeah. about what John did, though, so John's taking like an institution, like Paul Reed Smith. I mean, they're no joke. They're major, oh, no, yeah. they're I, major players. Well, I've toured their
1: factory. It's a, it's
2: amazing. He inverted the headstock because uh, the way I it pointed, the way the point worked, the point was like. Um, um, it wasn't, it, it, it matched the horn point. Mm. And he inverted it so that there was like a symmetry to the way. So imagine just having that kind of playground. Yeah. Imagine sure. saying to Gibson, um, I want to put the horn up top instead of the bottom. Like yeah. you can just take something that's sort of a classic design and just do whatever you want with
1: it. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. That freedom would be crazy. I, 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 I wouldn't, I feel like for me, I, I would never not stop thinking about ideas. Like, oh, for my next guitar, I do this, you know? Damn it! What's his name? David something? Gilmore. Yeah,
2: David Gilmore, who lives in Austin, Texas. Yeah, from Austin, Texas. Doyle Bramble Jr. does live in Austin, Texas, and he played for Roger Waters forever. Oh, Okay. He plays. He's he plays. He's left-handed, but he plays a guitar strung for a right-handed person. Oh, like Dick so, Dale. Like Dick Dale. Did? So, yeah. So the low strings are on the bottom of the neck. Crazy. And he sh- he fucking rips. That's awesome. Good for him. <laughs> good for him. It's like he's you know, like he's like a Make a Wish Foundation. Yeah, I didn't mean like he that. He survived. Way. I did not mean it that way. Alright, then we get to on Jason Newsays Bass Journey, the Spectre NS two, which he primarily used to record the Black Album. He also <laughs> check this out. In addition to his primary guitar for the Black Album, he also used a Music Man Stingray, a Gibson Thunderbird, which is Nikki Six's bass. Yeah. And
1: up to twenty-five other different basses. <laughs> twenty-five other different basses. I mean That's kind of typical of Black Album XS, right? It, yeah, I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. I mean they they also they probably bought in every all uh, every bit of their gear. They probably had other stuff like you know carded in there just to try any option. Well, there's even one where isn't he? He's playing like with like kind of like how Jeff Imet would play from Pearl Jam, like an eight string bass.
2: Yeah, uh, he plays on a wherever may roam. Is that what it is? That big whack is yeah. a, the eight
1: string. Oh, uh, okay. Zone. So I mean, when you've got that kind of money behind a record and you're this band that's about to make this gigantic album, like you kind of just pull out all the stuff. And when you have that much time, right? Or you record at Paul Moke's studio. <laughs> yeah, Paul's got some serious gear. He's got so much cool gear,
2: Paul. Paul, damn it! Yeah, I don't know. Where, no. You know, speaking of Paul, that just reminded me about this Joyce tape that we have. Oh yeah. So I hate to say it, man, but there's some there's
1: some trouble in paradise. Yeah. Um. Here's here's my suggestion. Yeah. We only got a couple bases left to talk about with Old Newstead. Okay. Let's do that. Let's finish Newstead out. Newstead out, and before Trujillo, let's let's maybe play the tape for the people. Okay.
2: All right. The cool thing about the Spectre JN2 that he would play the Black Album with is that he dug this so much and had such a good relationship with them that they made his first signature bass, which was called the Spectre
1: JN4, awesome.
2: which he would go on to use on the tour.
1: Yeah. He had a lot of cool five-string. I've never owned a five-string bass or whatever, but um, he played five-string a lot, especially once Black Album hit because it's like, you know, Sabbath True is tuned down. Um, I feel I feel bad to say it because it's kind of whack, the five strings are kind of whack.
2: That's why I've never owned one. But they shouldn't be. It's weird that they're not
1: cool. But I do have this sort of snobby feeling. I feel like in metal, I kind of give it a pass. Right. But if I'm ever like driving down Broadway downtown, I look over. It's big. One in of the country talks, and I see someone playing a five string. I'm like, just tune down, dummy.
2: It's big in country. It Every is. country gig I've ever had, there's been a. F- they have a five string. Yeah.
1: Does your bass play use a five string? Yeah. Not like, not all the time. Okay, well, that's good. But <laughs> but see, there's an isn't there an interesting stigma? There is, yeah. Well, because to me, it's like a, a bass is a, it's this classic thing. To me, it's the same thing as a seven string guitar. I'm like, I don't want. I know. Like that's why in Demon Hunter, like we just use baritones and tune down that low. But if you got a guy like if you got like the
2: corn, um, silly guys playing seven strings, <laughs> yeah, it's whack. You got Steve Vai playing a seven string, however, and you're like, okay nope <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> dude speaking of our bass player blake he also knows jonathan from tyler amps and he, oh, cool. he's basically using the bass version of the jt46 which is the same plexi circuit yeah but instead of
1: 50 watts it's 100 watts Oh, that's cool and it sounded dope john too, makes man. some really cool stuff man it's all point-to-point wiring just no circuit boards just it looks it looks amazing
2: What is his website? Tyleramps.com?
1: I think it's just, yeah, Tyleramps. Just Google search Tyleramps. You guys got to check it out, especially
2: you guitar nerds out there. Yeah, totally. And the other thing, too, is like, you know, we have these kind of spaceship pedal boards. We're all pedal nerds, and it was one thing to just plug it in and crank it. I mean, to plug that JT46 in... And crank it. It sounds like everything that guitar pedals try to do. Sounds like AC/DC. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You get all these like Marshall in a box pedals, like all these overdrives, right? And it's like they're all trying to do what that does effortlessly. But the cool thing was like with all my delays and my reverbs, my compression. Yeah. It plays well with others. Yeah, that's is what cool. I'm Trying to say it's really cool. Um, he also played a 1968 Fender Precision bass on the load and reload sessions. And then he was probably doing a lot of the same Black Album stuff where he was playing a lot of... He's got the fretless on Until It Sleeps. Right, yeah. All sorts of fun stuff.
1: That's what they sound like to me.
2: Oh, I thought we were just playing an excerpt from the record. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, that was
2: yeah. All right, then the last thing, and this is where he kind of went insane, too, is these uh, Sadowski uh, basses. A ton of different four five-string basses. You can see this on the Cunning Stunts. Uh, home video. They look like Fender Js and Ps. Yeah, he stated in interviews that he liked them because they sounded like a turbo Fender. Ooh, he liked how light they were compared to the heavier Olympic bases. He requested that all the ones he got, which he got up to twenty five of them, by the way. Oh my God! Uh, requested that they be water and sweat proof. He was a sweater, which makes sense for old Newstead because he sweat a lot. Oh yeah, you know the uh, Faith No More "We Care a Lot." Yeah, his song is called "We Sweat a Lot." We
1: Sweat a Lot. <laughs>
2: He used this on uh, the Sadowskis, Sadowskis on Garage Inc., and you can see it in the S and M home video. Awesome! And that concludes Jason Newstead's bass. By the way, we're going to do a whole other episode on the amplification. Yeah, yeah, this is
1: just bases. Yeah, because
2: when we get, especially with the with um, James and Kirk, the amp situation gets pretty intense.
1: It really does. Yeah, it might have to be a multi-parter. That would that would be a great one to have one of the techs on. You know to talk yeah. about the amps and and especially a guy like Chad who's been there since oh3 Which
2: here's an update on that. I emailed with Chad just yesterday, and uh, Chad is going to be on the show. Chad is James's guitar tech, right. and he seems super cool. And uh, it's just a matter of logistics of yeah, he's based sure. in Atlanta, but I think he's he's flying out to San Francisco to start production prep for the European Stadium Tour. Right, yeah. So it's just I don't think we're gonna I don't know if we're gonna be able to catch him
1: before that tour. That's all right. That's all right. As long as he's down in the future as long as he's down a clown so uh it's time to check in we got to see what's going on with the, with the joyces
2: well, well they- without any further ado we'll just let you play it out but i will say this it involves both both joyces it involves paw.
1: which you know i personally didn't know they even knew each other I didn't either. I I know that they all exist in the same universe. Well, I mean, because Papa lives in the South. The Joyce's of course, live in the Northeast. So it's like, I'm not sure how they met, but there's something weird going on there. Well, let's just see what's going on. Honey, you were so incredible last night. We made so much noise. I feared we would wake my little sweetie pie dog, Lucius.
3: Joyce, is that you? Yes. I told you not to call me on this line now, dammit. You know the first thing you're supposed to do is shoot me a page, then you wait 35 to 155 minutes for me to get to the payphone next to Raleigh's. Now, I thought we had a goddamn system here now.
1: Honey, please. I simply couldn't resist. The way you hold me with your rugged, toe-tuck-driven hands. The way you speak to me like a retarded dictionary. o I vey, what can I say? You got your meat hooks in me, honey. Please, deal with it.
3: (laughs) Well, I sure am plum tickled to hear that, Joyce. It's just that I think... Can you hold on a second, sugar? I'm getting a call on the other line.
1: Honey, of course. Don't be too long, baby. Lucius, honey, are you...
3: Yellow. And where the hell just were you last night, mister? Uh, George, is that you? And who the hell else would be calling asking where you were last night? Who does this? Oh, of course. <laughs> baby, you know this good and well. I was at home last night saying my prayers. Honey, please. I came by your house at 9.30 to bring you some jalapeno, Vienna sausages, and pickled walnut husks. Because believe me, even though they make me absolutely sick, I know they're your favorite. Guess whose truck wasn't there? Uh, mine? Yeah, yours, you dummy. Now tell me where you were last night. Valentino, keep it down, honey baby, please. 9.30? Oh, right. Well, see, I went down to Raleigh's about that time, uh, yeah, well, it turns out Jason's trying to get a hold of Brantley, and Brantley didn't have his god darn cell phone on him, and, uh, well, yeah, they've been playing one hell of a game of folding tag, see, and... Damn it. Joyce, I'm getting a call on the other line. Can you hold on one second? (sighs) Ah,
1: make it quick, honey, please. Hello? Honey, what took you so long? I began to get all worried about you. Who was out on the other line?
3: Oh hell's bells! It's just Brantley calling, trying to get a hold of Jason. I tell you what, those two dummies just cannot. <sighs> hold on a second, honey. Other line again. But. Yeah, don't Honey, please. I do not have time for this. Now listen. I'm gonna come over later today. I'm gonna bring you some boiled peanuts and some alligator because I know they're some of your favorites. Then I was thinking we could take Valentino to get his
2: anal glands expressed, because he seems very pent up and anxious. And I absolutely hate it when my dog gets anxious, because when Valentino is anxious, I get anxious. Also, I was reading misconnections on Craigslist the other day, and it was crazy. Have you ever read those misconnections? There was a woman who met a Portuguese gentleman in a cracker barrel bathroom, and according to the article, she apparently accidentally bit his penis
3: I need to check the other line sugar pie but she didn't know if he was mad or not because she didn't speak Portuguese
1: <laughs> hello are you talking to another woman of the other line I thought I smelled perfume on your car the last time we were intimates
3: what no heavens to bet you I'm just trying to help Jason get a hold of Brantley it turns out see Brantley dropped his cell phone into a well and uh well he broke his tailbone trying to get it out and uh Jesus jumping Christmas Hold on a second, now, darling. But,
2: yellow. I swear to God, if you're seeing someone behind my back, I'm gonna do things to you unheard of in hell, let alone the wonderful state of New Jersey. I will feed you to a demon. I will cover you in chunky peanut butter and have Valentino lick it off of you until your skin turns to mush. You understand what I'm saying?
3: Honey, honey, I understand. But listen, you got the wrong idea about me. I love you more than son of a biscuit. Hold on a second, please. You bet. Now, Joyce, listen, I'm going to come over later and make you some of my special corned beef hash, and then we'll make sweet love under the moonlight until the sun dawns on our nubile nude bodies under the willow tree where we first shared a bowl of boiled okra on that majestic summer night not long ago. Honey, what are you talking about? You know I hate corned beef hash.
2: And I have no memories of you beneath a willow tree with boiled okras. Who is this? Who is talking right now? Who does this? It's me, Joyce. Who is this? Oh my god, it's also me, Joyce.
3: What the hell is going on here? Uh-oh, you both be a buddy and call me back. Bye! <coughs> Who does this?
1: Oh my god. <laughs> Honey, please. Can you believe I, that he did that to us? I can't believe it at all. I mean, it's like, this it, a secret life. I had no idea. Well, it's like one day
2: you, you live in your dream... One day you're, like, sliding down a beautiful, gorgeous rainbow, and at the bottom of the rainbow is a beautiful leprechaun. And it's like when uh, old man Scrooge would swim in his monies. Yes. And, but then the next day your dreams are shattered into a gazillion pieces. I mean, it's crazy.
1: I mean, even, even Lucius is upset about this. Oh,
2: honey. Well, Valentino, he he gets sick to his stomach, and he when he gets an upset stomach, I have to stay up all night with him and have to express his anal glands. Right,
1: exactly. And, I mean, Lucius hasn't eaten in hours
2: I honey I must admit when I first heard your voice on the other line because I guess what he did is he 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 didn't understand how to click over or something he was playing click he was playing a little phone tag with us the whole time I know and he was telling us he was trying to call Brantley and Jason but I I admit at first I was quite angry with you and and I too but now that I realize that you know really who's the demon here who's the evil
1: one I realize it wasn't your fault or mine it's it's no one's fault it's definitely not Lucius's fault I don't blame you Lucius but now we can relate on, you know, a couple things. Well, it brought us
2: together. Now we're best friends.
1: Uh, finally, after all these years. <laughs> the question is, what are we going to
2: do about it? Because I well, think he should suffer. And it's like I said, I want to defeat him to a demon. I mean, do you think we should hire someone to maybe, you know, off him? Well, I was thinking, honey, we could hire a demon. To possess him. Well, honey, maybe we could have hold a seance at my apartment in Yonkers. Okay. And um, I read about it online. We'll summon a demon. And uh, which I've read isn't hard to do. You get a Ouija board. Yeah. You light a few candles. Mm-hmm. Maybe you carve a pentagram into your back.
1: And yours to, and mine. And
2: to, well, maybe we do half a pentagram on mine and half a pentagram on yours. And oh, we it's put like our, a,
1: it's like a friendship cutting. It's it's exactly like
2: a friendship cutting. <laughs> and then uh, with our backs combined, we summon a, a we summon Paimon from the Exorcist, And uh, maybe we have we make paw Paw's sacrificial lamb. I mean, unfortunately, I think that's what it has to come to. What do you say we get together next Tuesday? We make a, a beautiful bowl of pasta. We make some beautiful gravy for the pasta. I'll bring my famous meatballs. Can you? Would you mind bringing your? Would you mind bringing your ice pick so we can carve the the <laughs> well, pentagrams? Honey, which one? <laughs> the
1: nicest one. Oh, I got you covered. Well, let's just go ahead and make a plan to do that. You know what we ought to do. We would have the dogs boarded up. Yeah, probably. Just, it gets a little messy. You know, I don't have to bathe them the next day. Right, because there will be quite a bit of blood. There will. <laughs> well,
2: let's make a plan to do a honey baby, please. Oh, honey, any day. Wow. Well, it sounds well, this like. This is cra- getting serious. <sighs> I mean, it sounds like a horror movie, but you know what? They were two timed, and um, I understand their quest for vengeance.
1: I, I definitely get it. I mean, that's a lot of betrayal. You know, uh, the trust has been broken. Absolutely. You know? and, and, you know, uh, we could have been faced with the Joyce's breaking up their own friendship well that's not going to happen i mean it's strong they have a strong friendship, the chain won't but, be broken I mean, I mean, chain listen. chain chain keep us together that's papa what... if you're listening what's the deal man come on and what do you think what do you think <sighs> jason and brantley are going to help you with
2: i think papa is a good man i just think he is a romantic and i think he got in over his head and i think that yeah you know, he's going to have to pay. A little too romantic. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh well. we'll step back into the bass guitars here. Let's do it. So now coming to our beloved Robert Trujillo, who I'm convinced more and more each day as we do this journey on the podcast, is um, a saving grace of Metallica. Yeah. I think that he is a great neutralizing force because he, first of all, the musicianship he brings to the table is just absolutely it's insane. insane. He can do anything. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of writing credibility and suicidal tendencies and uh, infectious grooves. Yeah. And, um, but he's also got, so he's got a lot of the Hetfield Ulrich, he brings a lot of heat in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's also got the Kirk thing where he's sort of the, a glueish type mediating force yeah. where he brings a chill vibe. He brings that great Southern California chill. Yeah. And, um, he's highly respected by them. Yes. You know, the Beatles talk about when they brought Billy Preston in to do Let It Be, Yeah, they all were on their best behavior because for a musician that, uh, with that kind of prowess to come into their rooms, mm-hmm. they all quit acting like petulant little buttholes and were <laughs> like being good for Billy Preston. Right, you gotta impress him. Right, and and they wanted his And, and res- it's a respect thing. They too. wanted his respect, because yeah, exactly. they already had it for him. I mean, Billy Preston, if you don't consider George Martin, is considered the fifth Beatle. Yeah. So I think he brings a lot of that stuff to the table. So let's talk about the gear he's, it, he's yeah. used. So um, he's most famous for these Fernandez Gravity five strings. He's got a silver finish, the the silver one with the blue flame decals in the mm-hmm. middle, EMG pickups. He also has a signature Warwick streamer, which was released in 2010. Both four- and five-string models. See, he he's not afraid to go back and forth between four and five.
1: Right, exactly. I, again, I'm not a huge five-string fan. I'm I'm not a huge fan of just the look of Warwick's. I'm not either. They've never looked that awesome to me. That This really small bodies, yeah. I'm not a fan of. Um, but I will say, I mean, if you close your eyes and ignore maybe what they look like, I mean, Trujillo can make those things sound like fucking thunder.
2: Case in point, say what you will about their
1: doodles on the World Wire Tour. When Robert
2: and Kirk are playing, Robert sounds like a bass player and a drummer at the same time. Yeah. And that's no joke. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we talked a little bit about on the last episode about finger picking versus uh, using an actual plectrum. Right. And I got to say, man, for a dude that only uses his fingers, especially on songs like Whiplash or Spit Out the Bone. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That dude's bringing some serious heat. I mean, his his, his right hand is so fast. It's insane.
2: He also has a signature Sonus RT made by Zon Guitars, which is a killer clown guitar. Oh, right, yeah. Which, that's super fun. The graphic was conceived and hand-painted by Dennis Luke Romans of Cool Hand Creations. How about having a nickname that's just a boring name? It's just Luke. Yeah.
1: Dennis Luke Romans. Roman. I'm gonna start putting my middle name in quotes. Ethan, air quotes. John Luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, my name's Ethan Luck, but my stage name is John
2: Luck. <laughs> yeah, something not as unique and cool, dude. I just started watching that show um, Barry on Barry. HBO. I don't, I don't know this one. It's B A R R Y. Yeah, I'm spacing on. It's the he was the head writer for SNL, and he did a Weekend Update. Bill Hader. Oh, okay. It's oh. Bill Hader. Oh, oh, sweet. He plays a hitman who kills people for a living, like X. Ex- military right ptsd from military kind of got back home is kind of lost got into being a hitman because he's a stone cold killer yeah he's getting lost in life he's depressed he no longer derives any type of purpose or joy from uh from, from murdering people <laughs> right and um he's supposed to murder a guy out in uh la and he's following him to case him and murder him and he stumbles into an acting class and he sort of by happenstance gets drug on stage in an acting class and does a scene <laughs> and he's horrible at it, but he gets the bug. Uh, and okay. he wants to become an actor. Okay. So it's him juggling his nightlife as a hitman. Yeah. But during the day he's like auditioning for like commercials and that stuff. That sounds pretty awesome. Bill Hader's
1: a funny dude too. It's pretty is cool. it kind of a com like a dark comedy. It's a
2: dark comedy. Okay. But his name is like Barry, something boring. Yeah. And they 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 give him his stage name as Barry Block. <laughs> Barry Block, Barry Block, and this time it's personal. In a world where Barry Block runs the show, <laughs> um, okay. He also plays Fender P and jazz basses. He's got a Yamaha TRB five P two five string, a customized Green Rickenbacker, which is badass. It's similar, is badass, to, yeah. similar to four thousand one that Cliff played and Paul McCartney played, and uh, various Nash P bass copies. You ever played a Nash guitar?
1: Um, I haven't, but they are apparently amazing, well built. They're uh, they're built here, right? I believe they are built here. In Nashville. Oh my gosh, you just stopped. I can't believe it. I love that. uh, We're about to talk about it, I guess. That that Jaco Pistorius jazz bass. I never knew it was called the Bass of Doom. I didn't either. That's really pretty rad. It's a
2: it's a defretted mid sixties Fender jazz bass that Jocko owned, restored and finished. A lot of extensive damage. I read today that he has since returned it to the Pistorius family. I didn't realize it was actually his. Oh yeah, he, he recorded. Most of his recordings were with the that's bass. Cra-
1: and Robert toured with it and played it on. Stage. Yeah, that's so awesome. Right. I, I just thought it was like a replica or something.
2: No, that's it. I mean, he's he's tied to Jocko. I mean, he he produced do that documentary. That yeah. documentary about Jocko. And for those of you who don't know, Jocko Pistorius is a famous jazz. Um, fusion, genius, like uh, Miles Davis level uh, jazz bass player. His friends actually call him Jocko Steve (laughs) Petorius. Exactly. That cutting edge nickname that you always (laughs) wanted.
1: Um, And that's kind of all we have about Rob's basses. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree here that no matter what bass Rob plays, it's going to sound amazing. He's that kind of player because... A common thing, you know, that is often talked about in music is, you know, uh, you take someone like an Andy Van Halen, or in this case a Rob Trujillo, if you handed him like a shitty Squire something bass that was $200 plugged into like a little crate bass amp, guess what? He's still going to make it sound badass. He's just got a great touch,
2: yeah. and he's a he's a consummate musician. Yeah. We're all really lucky to have him. Absolutely. Um, I know that at first, for all of us, the... the Jersey-wearing, shorts-wearing, crab-walking, Southern California, long hair guy. Felt weird and maybe even sounded weird because he unfortunately inherited Saint (laughs) Doodoo. Which, by the way, mild shout-out to Bob Rock, who played bass. For St. Anger That's right I looked up his basses And it seemed to me That he played Kind of whatever Was laying around Yeah In the studio He had warm-ups Inspectors and, and then for some Of those live shows He played at that club And then on the truck bed He was yeah. playing A Fender P bass yeah. So I think Bob Was just playing whatever's kind of Laying
1: around <laughs>
2: That ladies and gentlemen Was this little song Called Frantic
1: have you heard of it?
2: Now what we're gonna do now is get our friend Chris on the phone, who yep. by the way is a is a fan of the show, he's a patron of the show. And uh I loved talking to him on our Metal Tales episode. He's a very cool cat. He's he's gonna be very with it and cool to talk to. And we're gonna uh, dial up some of the most notable bass moments in Metallica's discography, and we're gonna battle them down to the goddamn death and see which one wins out. So I'm down, let's do it. Let's uh let's take a little break and listen to a little bit of uh Hulkster. Done. And, and then we'll get Chris on the phone. Sounds good. All right. All right, we are here with our friend Chris Cacemes, all the way from California. Hey, Chris, how you doing?
0: Hey, doing well, man. Uh, super grateful to be on. Thanks for having me.
1: Heck yeah, man! Hey, where where do you live in California? Not your actual address. Uh, or what city?
0: <laughs> I'm in Ventura. i v- uh, right between L.A. and Santa Barbara.
1: Very cool, man. I wish I wish we could have connected earlier. I literally just did a show in Santa Barbara like a week and a half ago.
0: <laughs> oh, dude, no! I might be going up there tomorrow. I have to. I have a meeting with Seymour uh, Duncan. Um, they're giving us some jazz-based pickups, so I think I might be taking a trip up there. Ah,
1: well, if you uh, if you end up talking to Derek Duncan, who is Seymour's son, he's a good friend of mine. Um, oh,
0: cool, yeah, I met him. Uh, we took a tour of their factory, I think, I want to say two years ago now, um, and he kind of hosted that tour. Yeah, he, uh, yeah,
1: he's a cool dude. He's a rad dude. Another guy named Kevin that works there, too, that's awesome as well. They're all great people there and an amazing Kevin, o- operation. Yeah, Kevin is
0: my... Kevin is my direct contact. Yeah, he's a cool guy.
1: That's cool. We'll tell Kevin hello. What about um? What <laughs> yeah, about
2: a what about a guy there that I think works in the warehouse named Seymour Butts? Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, Chris did one of our metal tales, I believe, from one of the Southern California shows. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, it was the
0: Fresno
2: show, and that was a great metal tales uh, episode. Chris obviously has experience talking about shit, uh, anticipating an audience listening to it. Diehard Metallica fan, a patron of the show, a big supporter. Chris, tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel. So I've already talked a little bit about what we did with the Lunar Satan track. So maybe talk a little bit okay, about cool. what you guys are doing over there, what it's called, where everyone can find it, because it's super rad.
0: Yeah, we've, uh, we've actually expanded a little bit in the recent weeks. Um, we used to be called Basic Gear Review. The channel is now called the Base Channel. Uh, same logo, I just wanted to expand a little bit. As you can imagine, a name like Basic gear review kind of paints us into a corner of well any video we do has to be gear centric and we kind of wanted to get out of that a little bit where we still do the gear demos but i wanted to do bass covers i want to do more educational things some lessons talking about the difference of um, di versus micing a speaker and you know just be free to expand so our first cover that we actually did was a good friend of mine joshua he plays in a a local band over here Uh, we did blacken oh nice and that got such a good response that Someone's like, dude, I would love to hear the entire Justice for All album. And it's like, well, you know, let's talk, let's try to tackle it. So we <laughs> did, and Justice for All, and he's currently learning Eyes of the Holder, and we're just going to go track by track in order. We're going to run the whole thing down.
1: Wow, that's awesome.
0: So
2: talk a little yeah, bit about... And we're, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, uh, we're kind of sticking to the same kind of tone. We're using a, a Warwick, which is what Rob Trujillo plays, uh, a Warwick through a dark glass amp. I don't know if, how many people out there are super into gear, but... Uh, the Warwick Corvette through a dark glass Microtube 900 to get a nice little bit of grit on there. And it's, it's a really killer bass job.
2: Well, I really hope that a lot of people are into it because we just talked for about 90 minutes about bass gear. So. <laughs> we did, yeah. Uh, awesome,
0: dude. I can't wait to listen to it. Just
2: to orient uh, our listeners with you, so out of the three main bass players for Metallica, where do you fall on the different dudes?
0: It's tough uh, because if, if we're talking straight ability, I'm going to have to probably go Rob. Um, but like you, I kind of came online at Reload, uh, it was brand new, 97, and I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be Jason Telfast, dude.
1: Yeah. Nice. Sorry, Ron. Sorry, Ron (laughs) (laughs) McGoverny.
2: Well, cool. So here's what we're going to do with Metal Madness. So we do this occasionally where the three of us will sort of... Fight to the, de- I call it a fight to the death because we might not survive it. I just don't know. You never know what's going to happen. I put things. it out on Twitter, and actually, I'm going to read a few of these. Let's get some love to our Twitter fans. Uh, I asked them today. They, have, the fans always come through on the social media. I said, "What are the biggest Metallica bass moments?" Let's just read a few. Get some of the uh, responses here before we dive in. Brian Ward says, uh, "King Nothing." I also enjoyed the bass on Fade to Black, tucked in the mix, but so good. Cooper Perro says, uh, "Rah McGovernay's stuff on No Life To Leather demo. The dude's talented. He wow, is. we got to vote for Ron It's true. He is a great bass player. Ken Hill says, Justice, Monty, who's the Met Concerts 100 guy, so he's the dude who puts all these shows on YouTube, which we want to have him on the show at some point. So yeah, that'd be Monty, awesome. if you're hearing this, we still want to do that. He says, The Man and Kind intro, Spit Out the Bone bass solo, Cthulhu has crazy wah stuff going on, the Cyanide drum and bass verse intros. Uh, the slap bass and the bridge to the Cure, the bass solo and crash uh, course and brain surgery. He says Bob rocks the bass breakdown at the end of My World, so we got a Saint an Anger vote here. Oh wow! The outlaw torn versus Devil Dance intro. This dude really, really went for it. Wayne Lafleur says Orion, all of it. Of course, anesthesia, the bells intro, my friend of in misery intro. Uh, get a few more of these. Christian Post says two words. Jason Newstead, thank you.
1: <laughs> that's four,
0: that's four, that's four, <laughs> four
2: words. <laughs> four words. Yeah uh king nothing 1982 says the jason bay solo and cunning stunts jason wood says cliff at the day on the on the green jason's extended my friend of misery jam was legit robin kirk doing dead jail or rock and roll with michael monroe was epic michael says the orion solo anya says at 359 in orion that bit still transports me almost physically to being a teenager and lying on the living room floor reading every single bit of information on the inner sleeve while listening to the lp uh, ninety one eighty nine says the bass solo on Orion, my friend of misery, and the bass intro to Devil's Dance. There's a little reload sauce for us. Chris. There go. Rob says uh, Cliff actually does some impressive stuff on Seek and Destroy that goes under the radar. Listen closely on the pre-chorus and choruses. Um, Ralph Chavetto says Newstead's work kicks ass on the entire EP of Garage Revisited. His bass sounded so good, and then unfortunately disappeared on Justice, of course. Our friend Riot Sabbath Bloody Podcast has Crash Course, has some of the first metal tracks from Newstead, his tone crushes. Um Andy Brown says my friend in misery, Oscari says Intro to Devil's Dance. So there's sort of the uh sampling. That's the the temperature of, of the Twitter pool over there. So let me explain how this works for those who may not know. So we're going to we have a sweet sixteen, the Metal Madness, and we're gonna pit two versus each other, whichever wins by best of two or two of best two of three. Yeah. I hate doing numbers. I should never talk about numbers. <laughs>
1: it's a best of three per song. Best of three. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank God. Thank goodness for you, Ethan. Hey, happy to be here. Mathematician, Ethan Luck.
2: it will move on to the next round. We encourage um, arguing. We encourage trying to be persuasive. We encourage um, I mean, challenging to dual duel challenging. Knife fights. And with no further ado, I think we should get into it. Chris, are you ready? I'm so ready. Let's do some Metal Madness. All right. Now, first up, we have the Bells riff, which, for those of you who don't know, allow me.
1: Oh, that one. Exactly.
2: Now, Chris, that sort of flanging effect on Bells, what exactly are they using effects-wise? What was Cliff using to achieve that sound?
0: Well, I know in that era he was definitely using that Morley uh, Power Fuzz Wah, the original. They've since made a reissue. Um, but I mean, I don't know too much about Cliff rig. Legend has it he was using an electroharmonic at some point, um, but I'm not entirely sure about any kind of uh, modulation effects such as flanging or anything. But obviously, definitely some fuzz, definitely some wah.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. I didn't. I guess I misspoke. It was like a. It was like a fuzz and then sort of an envelope filter wah sound. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So right here at the top, this is going to be tough. We got the bells riff. Versus anesthesia pulling teeth. Jeez. And I'm I'm gonna lead us off. I'll start us off. I'm gonna go
1: with the Bells riff. What about you, Chris? Uh
0: it's it's easy. It's gotta be Bells.
1: I'm gonna say Bells too. Okay, Bells. No disrespect to the masterpiece that is anesthesia. But... Well anesthesia is gonna come No, knocking. but you
0: walk into any any guitar center with kids playing bass and they're not playing anesthesia, they're they're playing through. The Absolutely. Bells. Great That's point.
2: Perfect. All right, next we have the intro, the beautiful, lovely intro of My Friend of Misery yes. versus that banging, kind of slap-sounding cyanide break. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah. Doom, doom. Uh, which, which, by the way, just even though we're early in the game, I love the Robert Trujillo love. The My Friend of Misery top is tough, though, because it's so fucking well, awesome. you know what my vote's going to be on this one. Ethan's going Misery. What's I'm going say, Misery. What yeah. say you, Chris?
0: Definitely have to go Misery. It's much more intricate and interesting to listen to.
2: I agree. It's unanimous. Holy shit. This might not be a good one. (laughs) All right. Next we have, and I will fucking fight to the death for this. Okay. The fretless bass intro of Until It Sleeps. It also ends the song. The song ends the way it begins, drum and bass. Versus not only Whiplash, but you have to think back to... When they would play it live in the early days on the All for One tour with Raven, Cliff would do this bitching, basically a big, fuzzed out, freaked out solo. Yeah, he did. So we're talking until the the sort of more somber, chill, melodically superior, Until It Sleeps on the fretless bass versus the sort of great Cliff, psychedelic, frenzied solo before Whiplash. Plus, added caveat playing the actual riff of Whiplash with your fingers. It's Dang of, it. It's one of their fastest songs. It is. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sleep, so I have to. I'm compelled to.
0: All right. What about you, Chris? That is tough um, because obviously Whiplash is an absolute barn burner. But with that being said, you know how many times have you heard Cliff do a distorted, cool bass solo A lot. And how many times have you heard fretless bass once? So I'm going to have to ride with the unique factor of I think it's really cool they went with fretless, so I'm going to have to go until it sleeps.
1: Doesn't matter what I think, but I would say until it sleeps as well. Wow. It's unanimous.
0: This is getting easy.
2: Have we ever had a full Metal Madness that was completely unanimous? That's where we're at so far. All right. Next up, the beautiful layered volume swell intro of Damage Inc., Mm. versus the fucking badass riff staple, King Nothing.
1: Um, I'm going to go and start this one off. And I'm going to say the intro to Damage Inc. I'm going to go ahead and say
2: King Nothing. The tiebreaker goes to Chris Kakamis.
0: Oh, damn. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to go King Nothing because I enjoy playing it more. <laughs> hey, hey, that's it's valid. such a swagger riff, dude.
1: It it is cool. I'm I'm not knocking it at all. But I, I just I love that beautiful intro to Damage Inc. Man.
2: And I will say this sort of th- that victory sort of in part goes to one Mr. Jimmy James headset because on the demo where he played the bass, that riff is there. Yeah. So there you go. No, Jason. It goes dong 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 don't, dong dong. Can you <laughs> imagine showing that riff? Right. Because as badass it is, it's so like meat and potatoes. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I got it, dude. Yeah, I think I can play that. <laughs> I think I can play the King Nothing riff. Okay, next, some a little more... Oh, this is sad. This is sad, because it's going to get bulldozed. Oh, okay. The intro, the be- Robert Trujillo's only writing credit on Hardware to Self-Destruct, his beautiful intro to Mankind, which is kind of a Jaco Pistorius homage-ish, yeah. beautiful little melodic thing, versus the Orion solo, the bass solo in Orion. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think we know the answer to this one.
2: Yeah, it's got to be Orion, right? What do you think, Chris?
0: Uh, the, again, that's tough because they're both intensely melodic. Um, you've got Orion that's just a classic for well over 30 years. I do really like The Man Unkind, but you got to go with Orion. Yeah,
2: yeah I'm going Orion, to too. That's unanimous. So when I plan these out, I sort of put it into a randomizer. Yeah. So I don't really get to pick. How they stack up and sure. some, some of them are unfair What can I say yeah. Blame Elon Musk I
1: do Yeah Blame him for everything
2: um, Next up We have The God That Failed Versus Our only Bob Rock love Frantic
1: I'm going The God That Failed Sing the bass part To The God That Failed Do-do-do Do-do-do do do
2: What do you think do-do-do. Chris for, Let me ask you this First of all Before you weigh in because um, I, gu- I guess it's over. We've already decided. Guy failed. What do you think about Saint Anger? What do you think about the sounds, the tone, specifically because your area of expertise is the bass? What do you think about what Bob Rock brought to the table, parts-wise, tonally, uh, to Saint Anger?
0: Um, totally, it's not my favorite, and the parts are good, but they're a little kind of cookie cutter. Like it's not—he's not really doing very many interesting things, like Cliff or Jason or Rob would have done. It follows but, the guitar fair, a lot. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, sure, St. Anger isn't necessarily an intricate album riff-life, so with that being said, I feel like what Bob played fits it really well, and props to him for stepping up and doing it.
1: Yeah, for sure. It is interesting they had him play on it, but Mick uh, like, James just didn't do it or something, but I guess they did a lot of like live jamming for their songs, too. I mean, so. they
2: wrote that record live,
1: Yeah, and they wrote it while jamming on the main
2: floor, right, so yeah. they needed that presence. I do think that... I mean, I hope Bob never hears this. I do think him being on the floor with them impacted negatively his ability to produce the session. Right, yeah. I, I think, what do you think about that, Chris? You, guys, you think that's true? I might be wrong. I don't know.
0: Oh, I, I yeah, definitely agree. Because you're you're no longer looking at the project uh, objectively from the hat of producer. You're kind of more in it, and it's more subjective. So and, I think it's definitely going to hinder your view.
2: And and he's thinking about if he's playing bass well and if the part is complementing. The Riffwell, yeah. if he's locked in with Lars, and it's that's hard to separate all that. Right, exactly. Okay, we're moving right along here. We have the bitchin' breakdown in Crash Course and Brain Surgery versus the great, and I will use this correctly, correctly flangy versus of the Outlaw Torn. Ooh. We got Newstead versus Newstead, a la Kramer versus Kramer. Hmm. Uh, i'm going outlaw torn all right chris what do you think
0: it's tough because as a song as a whole outlaw torn wins it but for the bass part i'm gonna have to go crash course
2: i all right clint i i feel like i'm betraying my my family but i'm gonna go with crash course also because i agree
1: Ooh, okay.
2: although i love i love so much of those verses of outlaw are just that it's really just bass and drums yeah, it's pretty rad. Hatfield will hit those diamonds, but then he—if you watch on SNM—he rolls off the volume really quick. Yeah, he doesn't really let them yeah. die out, For so sure. he really lets it just be that sludgy, chuggy Jason thing. Yeah, totally. but Crash Crash Course, nevertheless, moves on. Okay. Oh shit, this one's going to be hard too. Devil's Dance intro. Go Gump Gump go go versus the sort of, again, Cliff Burton freak out moment in Call of Cthulhu. Ooh. Which is a fucking awesome moment. Which, by the way, sub-question, because there's basically like a bass solo in Call of Cthulhu, but it's that fuzzed out Morley thing that we talked about. Did Jason do that on S&M? Or is that just, they let Kirk do all that?
0: No, that's definitely Jason.
2: Oh so Jason does do a freak out on S&M? Oh,
0: most definitely.
2: Okay, cool. I haven't watched the home video in a while. I got to rewatch that, yeah. We should <laughs> um, start a Metallica podcast. We should. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Devil's Dance versus the Freak Out of Call of Cthulhu. We uh, got Newstead versus Burton. I'm going uh Cthulhu. I'm going to go Devil's Dance.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm probably going to go I'm probably going to go Cthulhu. However, I mean I do I, I prefer the sm version just cuz I like the, the overall production better. But yeah, I think that's
1: a really cool moment. All right.
2: All right, we're moving right along here. And as as these do, it's only going to get harder. Right. Because now some of our favorites from the first round are going against each other.
1: So are we in round two now? We're in round two. Okay. Wait,
2: no, wait. Yeah, we're in round two. <laughs> Again, with numbers, please. <laughs> Sorry, don't, no, don't make me do numbers. No numbers to Clint. Okay. Uh, the For Whom the Bell Tolls riff versus the intro to My Friend of Misery.
0: Ooh. Son. Ah,
2: uh, I, I, I vote Chris starts this one. Yeah, well, lead us off, Chris. It,
0: it is hands down no question from the bell
2: Wow. Okay. 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 I don't. Okay. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's <laughs> that clear cut for me.
1: Uh, In fact, it's not. I'm going misery. You are. So I got. I, I got to be the the voice of reason here. Here, here's
2: the thing too. When you hear that riff and bells, there's a little bit of confusion about is that a guitar or a bass. And that might be that might even be a point of um, a positive point for it, right. a pro in the pro column. But the My Friend and in Misery intro is clearly a bass guitar. The bass guitar is the star. Right. Yeah. When he puts all the fuzz on it, and it's all fucked up. You you're like, is that a guitar? Is it a bass?
1: I see you trying to talk me into that one. I'm
2: just... I'm, hey, I'm just putting it out there what my vibe is.
1: Um, <clears throat> I, I think I still have to go with Misery. Woo! And Sorry, Chris. Surprising upset.
0: Oh, Bells loses it.
1: That's a t- I'm sure a lot of people right now are just like, are you fucking kidding
0: me? I, I was for sure Bells was going to take it to the top.
1: Oh! Well... Well...
0: Because it's just so iconic.
2: You know? I know. It That's is. I know, you're your right. Moment. It is. We're a bunch thus, of- thus is the cruel nature of metal madness. <laughs> oh, Okay, <laughs> next, the Battle of Loads. Ooh, okay. Fretless until it sleeps vibe versus the chugging, lurching juggernaut of King Nothing. I'm going to go sleeps. I'm going to go King Nothing. Oh, you butthole. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm probably going to also have to go King Nothing. Oh, Ooh. man. Come on, dude. Shoot. And again, dude, it's got the swagger that Until It Sleeps doesn't quite have. I mean, I do appreciate the fretless of it, but just there's something about it. I mean, just when you play that riff, regardless of the instrument, you're like, oh, dude, this is
2: Do you need me bad. to sing it again?
1: Wow, <laughs> bwow, <laughs> Too late, man. The votes have been cast. Hey,
2: having sung it, okay, I just sang it. I'm going to, because I am one of the co-hosts, I'm going to let you... Reconsider after hearing me sing it. No, oh you still going, King Nothing? Hey, me? You no, know, I'm talking to, Chris. Oh, talking to Chris. No, you're fine. Oh, to me? You're yeah, nope. I'm, I'm
0: hanging on to King Nothing for sure.
2: <laughs> I thought for sure my beautiful rendering not of enough swagger there, Clint. Did I did I sway you at all? Do you want me to do? Hold on, hold on, one more time, one no, more time. Okay, let's hear it. Boor- no, Boor- no. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Okay, we have Orion versus The God That Failed. Uh, I got to go Orion on that one. I got to go Orion, too. All right. What would you say, Chris? I
0: also have to go Orion. I mean, Heathfield doesn't have the other one tattooed on his arm, you know?
1: That's true. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Orion's was kind of in the back of my mind as the one that's going to go all the way, so we'll don't see. Don't even say that. Don't speak that into it. I'm just, hey, listen, man. I'm just going with my gut, which don't feel good right now. You're not feeling good. I'm feeling. I'm feeling better from when we first started, but I'm still
2: feeling a little. Ugh. Chris, just to catch you up, Ethan has been projectile vomiting for this entire episode. <laughs> it's an episode of me throwing it. We put a microphone in a bucket, and some of it even got in my mouth, mm. which is good because I was low on low on protein today. That's right.
0: Did you overdo it on the passion fruit vodka?
2: Hey, I overdid it on something. You know what? I don't think they make. I don't think they make at least the liquor stores near us in East Nashville. I don't think sell it anymore because. On a lark or as a as a, as a a gag, I've tried to repurchase Passion for right. Vodka. Can't find it.
1: Really interesting. I have to special order it now. Maybe we can get a uh, whatever brand of vodka makes that into New endorse- Amsterdam endorsement.
2: Okay, uh, the last one of round two. Crash Course in Brain Surgery versus Call of Cthulhu. I got to hold it down for lightning for me, and it's going to be Call of Cthulhu
1: for me. How about you, Chris?
0: Oh, that's tough. Um... I mean,
1: really they've all been tough. Uh I I gonna have to go crash course. I just think that is such a rad moment. Okay. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, you freaking butthole? Oh, butthole. <laughs> come on. I don't know, maybe sing both of them at the same time to me.
2: Uh all I gotta say is follow your heart
1: I, my, and choose what I chose. M- well, <laughs> fortunately for you, my heart chose right away. It is a tough one, but I'm I'm going Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, tangent question. Before Ethan
2: vomits again, um, what other contenders would have been from Garage Days revisited, re-revisited, other than Crash Course? Are there other mo? Like, is there other moments in the Small Hours or? Uh, I, th- I mean I think the bass stuff sounds great on on that whole EP. I do too. It's so um, it's so punchy and loud and garagey. Yeah,
1: well, I, and I love to me that's one of the best Jason tones because it, you can hear his aggression in his body and his arm you're hitting that bass.
2: Let's get Chris I want to hear what Chris's opinion is on the whole bass controversy of Justice. Was it was he being hazed? Was it a product of it was James and Lars in the mixing room both asking for the guitars and drums to come up? Was it, because it doesn't make sense that they were hazing him when he's so prominent on Garage Days Re-Revisited and absent on Justice. What do you make of the base controversy, Chris?
0: Yeah, and you know, I want to go back to another thing that you said a few months ago. Do you really think they're going to sacrifice their art for a little prank? Right. Doubtful. I think what it was is a, Jason has said it a couple times, of his base, playing, his bass tone, it's sitting right there with Hetfield, and just having them kind of occupy the same sonic space gets really muddy. And I've, I've played with the with the Guitar Hero tracks, you know, you can download all the tracks and kind of remix them, and at least how it stands, it's tough to remix the bass into those recordings without everything just becoming a mess, because right. the guitars have a tremendous amount of low-end, but the thing that I think they don't get enough credit for is trailblazing on the drum tone. It wasn't perfect, but you could see the huge shift in drum tone from Puppets to Justice mm-hmm. that would just completely pave the way for modern metal drumming tone. And if you know what, if the bass has to suffer for one album, I think it's worth it.
1: Well, I often think... uh I was, great point. I, I was even listening to Justice on vinyl the other night, and uh, I, I don't know, I'm kind of with like, Jason on this, and he's been quoted as saying that, you know, that's, just this, that's the sound of that record. And why mess with it? You know, why go back and redo it or like remix it in there? Um, As much as it would be cool to have a version of it with bass, it's like that's this is the version I've been listening to since that record pretty much came out.
2: I I agree, and we have the benefit of time and the the record, despite the (laughs) the frequency issues, made such an impact in so many different ways that you know James has been saying like, why would we go back and try to change this sort of piece of our history? So. Oh, are we boring you now? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yawning. You're I'm, yawning now? I'm, y- I'm yawning. Sorry, I'm yawning. <laughs> so I'm real yawning tonight. All right, we got a few more to go. We're getting down to the fucking crunch time here. Um, more Jason Newstead versus Jason Newstead. We got My Friend of Misery versus King Nothing. I'm going Misery. Chris? Oh, I know. I feel like I know what's
0: going to win, but I'm sticking by King Nothing.
1: I'm going Misery. Thank goodness. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. You're getting, you're getting dominated tonight. But I applaud you for holding yeah, no it down way. for load. I really do. Yeah.
0: Oh, I will defend them. I mean, not that they really need defending anymore, but I will stick by those records until I die. I feel like
2: time has been really kind to those records. Yeah. In a way that it hasn't. Absolutely. In a way that it really hasn't for St. Anger. Yeah, totally. You got your St. Anger people out there. You got your Tom Queese out there. Right, but for the most part, load and reload aren't really as derided. is It's not really the the
1: hill to die on that it used yeah, to be. Yeah, well, I, I think for a lot of people, like the the shock of it all kind of is worn off. The older you get, you know, when it first half came out, you're like, what the heck is this? You know, and the older
2: we get, the more we cut our hair and wear Gucci suits and smoke Cuban cigars. I mean, and put I on eyeliner and I know I do, and make art called Blood and Semen Three. So that's what
1: every one of Chris's videos is on YouTube. All right, and to round out, <laughs> he, he he demos bases and bass gear, smoking a Cuban cigar, dude, in, totally in a Panama hat, and and drinking. That's how you
0: get the views, man.
1: That's right. And he's drinking out of the piss Christ
2: jar <laughs> the whole time. So, all right, to round out round three, Orion. This is Burton versus Burton. Orion versus Call of cthulhu Ooh, that's fucking tough. Mm. I, I'll leave this off I think as much as I I mean Ride the Lightning as everyone knows who's been paying attention out there in Metal of podcast land is my favorite Metallica record pound for pound bar none but I think on this particular uh,
1: battle I gotta go Orion uh, I wanna hear what Chris has to say before I chime in here
0: uh, I'm gonna also have to go with Orion because while both feature a bass solo and both came out in the same era it almost sounds like Orion was written for the bass solo where yeah. Cthulhu kind of has a yeah.
1: bass solo kind of forced in there. Good point. Well, I, I'm picking Orion, by the way. But, I mean, Orion <laughs> has, two, has two bass solos in it, you know. There's that great one. that Remember when we first covered, I think, Puppets, and you, you didn't know that that... That whole thing. With yeah, an bass. Oh, I love
2: being reminded about things I didn't know. Remember,
1: you had no idea.
2: You wrote about a little song on S&M. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Called The Outlaw Corn. Touché. Uh, no, you're right. That's true, and you know it makes sense that Orion made it here to the last tier. It's a yeah, masterpiece. It now, is. honestly, I think this is actually a, a quite adept battle here at the end. We got Newstead versus Burton. Are we final round? Final round. This is for the big cheese to Not win at it all. all. My friend of misery, probably Jason's. Uh, well, he did blackened. Jason's most base-worthy, base worthy base. Um, Most melodic Mentionable Melodic contribution In his 16 year Tenure in the band Versus Obviously Cliff's Greatest contribution Also It's both Jason's And Cliff's Greatest contributions In terms of the bass guitar My Friend of Misery Versus Orion I'm gonna go ahead And lead us off With a surprising turn I'm going Misery Over Orion Really? Now what are you Fucking idiots Gonna do? (laughs) Chris It's, It's
0: gotta be Orion For me
2: uh, what would you have said? Oh wait, Tybren no, goes a to am e- t- t- Sorry, you said sorry, misery. sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Tybrick goes to Mr.
1: Ethan John Luck. John's in quotes, by the way. Um, you know my love for misery. Oh, I hate how this is starting. <laughs> this is like a breakup. <laughs> you know I love you. But... It's not you.
2: It's Orion.
1: <laughs> um, I, I I that that is probably my favorite song off the Black album. I love that song dearly but i gotta go orion well and just like that orion's the big winner oh there we go orion is the most loved cherished work of base in the metallica's catalog as of tonight
2: i feel this way after so many of these where i'm like
1: it was always going to be orion right i was honestly my my thought was like it, what could go all the way is orion uh my friend of misery Bells, which got knocked out early. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are kind of the main ones I thought.
2: Chris, what do you think about Orion winning? Are you are, Can you sleep tonight knowing that that happened?
0: Yeah, I, I am a little bummed that Bells didn't at least come in second or third. But uh, yeah, I think Orion is definitely the greatest baseball in the
2: history of that band. Well, dude, thank you so much for being a good sport. And I mean, I hit up Chris maybe a few hours ago. And said, "Dude, I, I knew he'd be killer for this. Right? And, yeah. uh, it was just, and it's of course it's Easter Sunday. So, thank you so much for being available to come on and share your knowledge and your expertise with yeah. us. Before we split with yeah, you, dude. before we split with you, let the good people know where they can find you once again. Let them know so there's no doubt in their minds. No doubt.
0: Yeah, our our kind of main uh, main hub where everything's going on is on YouTube. I'm sure everyone's heard of that. Uh, we are the base channel. Pretty easy to find. Our logo is three uh, base clefs." Uh, red bass cleft on a black background. Um, we do all sorts of bass stuff from gear demos to covers. We're getting ready to expand into some more things like some educational material. And uh, we're actually getting ready to head to Germany here in June to go see the Tillman the factory and do some videos out there. So I'm really excited about that.
2: Wow, very cool. Sounds like good things are happening over there.
0: Yeah, definitely. And also, I am very excited to complete the bass cover of the entire Injustice for All album. So it's going to be... Maybe a couple months away, but we're
1: going to get through the whole damn thing. That's awesome, man! Hey, so you said you're going to Germany this summer. Uh, have you ever played any Duesenberg basses? No. You know the company Duesenberg. Like Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers famously plays one of their guitars. Chris Cornell had one. Chris Cornell went through a Duesenberg thing. For yeah, three. they're they're these wonderfully made German guitars. I think they're based in Dusseldorf. <laughs> Dusseldorf and Haasen. Uh Strasen. Not Hanover, I can't remember, I will have to, we'll have to look it up, but uh, really amazingly well-built instruments.
0: Cool, yeah, I'm not familiar. When we went last time, we were at the Warwick factory, so we've kind of been hooking up with Warwick quite a bit. We're actually getting a Roster EO signature here pretty soon, cool. uh, so we're going to definitely do some videos with that.
2: Also, I heard a rumor from a demon that you guys also featured our Lunar Satan track on your channel.
0: We definitely do, yeah. One of the, one of the things we do is, in addition to showing all these, you know, off the wall distortions and fuzzes and all this crazy stuff is we want to show what some of these can do in the mix and uh, i hit you up a while back to feature uh set the witch on fire again and i'm waiting for ride Skies." so essentially i just see your baseline into whatever product we're showing and then i kind of remix that back into the track and then you can kind of hear what that sounds like
2: you know what the the sad truth is is that I literally am going to have to go learn it. I literally don't know what I did. <laughs> In fact, Chris, I think you're going to find when I send it to you. I think I did something really weird that doesn't make sense, that actually doesn't work. And I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost sort of mildly embarrassed to send it.
0: <laughs> well, dude, I am psyched to hear the rest of that record last time.
1: If you messed up on that bass part, just have him run it through one of the uh, fuzz wads and you won't even notice.
2: <laughs> that's true yeah. put,
1: put me through the Morley Cliff Burton uh
2: yeah. through the Bell Tolls channel and it should be fine he actually put my set the witch on fire through the Morley walk. yeah that thing sounds so bitchin
0: yeah that was the first one we did I, I felt it fitting to do the, the Cliff Burton pedal first.
2: you guys gotta go check it out it's super cool Yeah. and again thanks to our friend Chris for all the support for being a good sport for knowing his Metallica shit for adding value to the show we appreciate you man
0: Oh, dude, thank you very much. I appreciate you guys too. I listen to you guys every week.
2: Oh, thanks, dude. Aw. Well, it's that easy, folks.
1: Man, what a cool dude. Super cool. I love talking to Chris. Yeah, th- thank you again, again to Chris for taking the time to do this kind of late at night. We're uh, we're actually a little past due on this episode dropping, but we're... Uh, Clint, it's okay, because we were having fun always. We're having fun always. Uh, Clint and his wife got to watch their beloved Game of Thrones, which is where we started a little late. But you know what? According to everyone in the world, this is a show I got to watch. I think
2: once it happens to you, you'll be like, oh, yeah. Now, I personally believe that it jumped the shark about two or three episodes ago. Okay. I kind of got annoyed. Okay. Um. But my wife loves it, and much like the dirt, it's just fun. Okay. And I'm at an age, and you know, I think you maybe feel this way too. But like, I'm at an age where being snobby is so uninteresting to me, mm-hmm. and having fun with something and choosing, like, you can watch a movie and you can be like, "That would never happen," and it takes you out of it. And yeah, yeah. I don't like you. That. Constantly are sort of just drum drumming up a bad time about things. yeah exactly or and i do this in my relationships too with my friendships and my wife you can sort of choose to lean in and have a good time have goodwill mm-hmm. show grace be on a ride yeah and enjoy your fucking life just enjoy it and so i think that you're gonna like it dude okay it's a rich story i mean it's it's definitely dramatic and rich I mean, they're pumping a lot of
1: money into it. Yeah, it looks for sure. good. It's fascinating. I will eventually watch the whole series, but like I said before, I'll probably wait for it to be done and then then dive in.
2: Well, I look forward to talking with you about it when you when underst- we start our
1: Game of Thrones podcast. It'll be great. When we
2: start our Game of Thrones pa- podcast tomorrow, um, I can't wait. There's for sure a, probably a
1: few of those out there.
2: Listen, how much do we love our listeners? Like we love them. We're so lucky that um, people listen, and uh, we're so grateful. Go leave the positive review, get on board on Patreon, get the uh, shirt at Everpress because mm-hmm. that window's closing. We cannot wait to hear about the European stadium tour from all That's of our right, friends. Yeah. We're going to be doing the Metal Tales for all those. Um, I am so excited about Cover Our Black and Volume
1: 3. It's going to be fun. It's the, the most challenging by far. Are we revealing what songs we're doing? Should we do that? Do you know yet? There's only one that I'm still not sure on. So maybe next week we'll we'll reveal and maybe even play one of mine next week. That'd be fun. Yeah.
2: Okay, cool. Um, Anything else we should say before we split? (laughs) Have fun always. Listen, go to com and get on the news. uh, Sign up for the the newsletter thing that we send out. The one that I'm sending out that will already be out today has Ethan's tour dates with Need to Breathe, Mm -hmm. my tour dates with Rodney, a video of me on the Today Show with Rodney. Cool. Um, links to Patreon, links to our t-shirts. Uh, free download. Free downloads. Uh, oh, yeah, the free download of the Way Your Crap Jingle. Way Your
1: Crap Jingle. You get a free download of it if you sign up for the email list.
2: Which I think Anya um,
1: tweeted at us So that that's going to be her ringtone. Oh, my gosh. I
2: hope so. <laughs> and then she'll get fired. Or promoted.
1: <laughs> Do you never know?
2: Either one. Well, look, before we split, we just want to say thanks. We love you all out there. We're so grateful you all listen, and uh, we'll see. Come visit us on the socials. We like to hang out there every week, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And uh, I guess with all that, we'll just get the fuck out of here and say peace. Adios.
3: (laughs) If you were our advisor, what would you say? And then I would say,
0: delete that.